the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, July 28th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 260. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree that will take you to the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Happy Friday, everybody. We've got a huge edition of the show today. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's keying up. We've got a great slate of guests as usual. The candidate for the Missouri Attorney General, Will Sharp, is going to join us. We're also going to sit down with former Acting Ice Director Tom Holman, independent journalist. Haley Kennington is going to be joining us for the first time, and we're going to sit down, always a good time, with author Brendan Dilley. Lots of breaking news. Hunter Biden's plea deal falls apart as Jack Smith brings more charges against President Trump in the special counsel case regarding the documents down at Mar-a-Lago. Alejandro Mayorkas was up on Capitol Hill. He probably had not as good a time as we're going to have on the show today, to say the least. And we'll Ollie? do a little bit of the best of the rest. Before we get into any of the news, let's take it over to the Show Me State and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM, this is bowling, there are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! All right, big Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast here, getting things started. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast, that is Steak for Breakfast. And getting things started on the show today, we're going to jump right into it and talk with the current candidate for the Missouri Attorney General spot. He's also a former federal prosecutor, one of our great friends. Will Scharf, thanks for joining us on the show. Always great to be with you guys. Thanks so much for having me. Always a pleasure hosting. Happy Friday, sir. Want to jump kind of right into the news. We're going to be talking about the uh, Hunter Biden plea deal that fell apart the other day in, in court and then the new charges against President Trump that they seem to have vented to kind of get that out of the news cycle. Will, we know you were pretty close or about as close as you could have been to being inside the courtroom the other day. You had really good narrative about it on social media. That's why I reached out and wanted you to kind of break it down for our listenership. As you saw this thing kind of unfold and where we stand at right now, what can you tell our listenership? Yeah, look, it's it's a crazy case, uh, as you'd expect from the Biden DOJ when dealing with Hunter. Uh, what they tried to do here was basically full, pull a fast one on an experienced federal court judge, uh, Judge Nareka. Uh, they structured a plea deal that would have given Hunter Biden broad guarantees against uh, against prosecution for charisma, for his deals in China, for being an unregistered foreign agent, really for everything. Uh, in return for pleas to a couple misdemeanor tax charges. Then they tried to hide that deal uh, from the court and from the American people uh, by the way they structured these two documents. One was a plea agreement in open court. Uh, the other was a w- what they called and what they claimed was a pretrial diversion agreement on a gun charge, but it was really an immunity agreement between DOJ and Hunter. And what happened was is they tried to push this through in court and Judge Nareka, you know, quizzed them extensively, got them to make admissions on the record. Uh, both Hunter's lawyers uh, and the the DOJ team uh, got them to make admissions on the record they clearly didn't want to meet. And then she told them that she wasn't going to approve what they had done to go back to the drawing board, uh, and that you know the the Hunter was not going to get away scot free here. It was a great day for justice and for the rule of law. And uh, definitely a really, really bad day for Hunter Biden and the the Biden DOJ. 
Now, where does this leave the Biden team? Uh, obviously, we've heard reports that his legal team is extremely frustrated with this. We knew that some of the parameters before this got to court, and as the judge kind of you know, laid out there, was that this was going to protect Hunter Biden from future uh, investigations that he would have done. And, and when they're looking at the, the possible, what we know now are fair violations, in addition to whatever kind of tax-related crimes might stem from this, this just seemed like a pardon without saying the word pardon right now. And, and I think anyone who's, you know, ever worked in the legal field or, or understands the way how these high profile cases kind of go, is, is that kind of what it looked like to you as well? Yeah, it, it was a backdoor pardon. But, but make no mistake about it. This isn't just about Hunter Biden. This is about the Biden family. And this is about the, the Biden family's foreign influence peddling operation, which I think is probably the greatest scandal in American history. So when you look at what Hunter was being given immunity for, what they were agreeing not to prosecute him for, it's not just stuff he did. It's the money that the Biden family was taking from Burisma, including you know what we've seen from whistleblower testimony was millions and millions of dollars in return for political intervention into the prosecution into Burisma. Uh, this is about Hunter taking millions of dollars from a, a Communist Party-aligned uh, corporation uh, in China that was being funneled through their fake private equity firm, Bohai Harvest. I mean, the the level of criminality here is crazy. And DOJ was willing just to wipe the slate clean yep. and basically prevent any further investigation, any further prosecutions of not just Hunter, but all of the Bidens. And, and I, I just I come back to this point. They weren't doing this in an open and transparent way. You know, I've structured plea deals before where you drop a charge in return for a guilty plea. But that's all laid out in court. And that's all subject to judicial approval. The judge has a duty to ensure that the ends of justice are upheld here. The way that they structured it was purposely designed to avoid any judicial oversight, to avoid the details of the deal becoming public. They wanted to give Hunter and the Biden family uh, a clean slate and do it without the American people even knowing that it was happening. To me, that's the real scandal here. Sure. And then when you talk about the connectivity tissue to, uh, you know, tie Joe Biden to all of these things, which now there, there's apparently leaked audio that that people from around the world had there's reports that joe biden participated in conference calls we all know he had keys to one of the offices of the companies that hunter biden was supposedly holding up and you know it, it's one of those things as house republicans look towards moving into an impeachment inquiry you, you have this deal right here which would have eliminated a lot of the avenues they had that were going to lead to investigations that continue to tie joe biden to hunter's foreign business dealings that's correct right yeah. And look, you know, Joe Biden has sat down and had meetings with the head of CEFC, this Chinese company that uh, was funneling money into into Hunter's fake private equity firm. Uh, there was a really interesting uh, moment during uh, d during the, the uh, change of plea hearing that blew up the other day in court. Uh, and, and a lot of people haven't noticed this yet. Um, but the judge asks Hunter essentially at one point what services he was providing. And Hunter claims that Rosemont Seneca, which was this firm that he had set up, that it was providing legal services. Now, I think that's a cover. I think they were receiving payments in return for uh, Hunter exerting influence on his dad. I don't think Hunter performed any legal work at all, at least through that entity. Uh, but what they're trying to say is that payments that were made uh, clearly for, for essentially influence peddling uh, were actually legal payments. And that's all part of this move to sweep everything under the rug, to uh, keep everything undercover, 
so that nothing ends up rolling back on on both Joe and I think his brother as well, who's sure. implicated in all of this. Absolutely. And then, Will, how disappointed were you to see, but probably not surprised yesterday, that the Jack Smith-led special counsel into the Mar-a-Lago document uh, case right now issued, what was it, three or four new felony charges, which included now a maintenance worker of someone who worked Carlos de Oliveira down at uh, Mar-a-Lago, you know, stemming from some allegations that he may or may not have tampered with video that the FBI wanted to see from uh, the the resort down in in Trump world and, and how that is being used to kind of skirt this whole plea deal scandal now out of the news cycle. Yeah, and and look, there's a bigger story with the way Jack Smith is handling this case. Uh, Jack Smith is gaslighting the court and gaslighting the American people. You remember when he first indicted President Trump in this in this documents case, he said this is a simple case. It's open and shut. The law is simple. The facts are simple. We're ready to go to trial in a couple months. He repeated those statements over and over again in court on the record. Then his team turns over 800,000 pages of documents, dozens of terabytes of data, including months of video recordings to the defense team, continues to insist that the case is quick and easy and simple, ready to go to trial in a couple months. Then they come back and re-indict and add charges and add a defendant. I mean, both of those things can't simultaneously be true. Either it's a simple open and shut case uh, that, that doesn't require a superseding indictment, that doesn't require more charges, or as I think, they're still trying to pull this case together as they go, try to fly the airplane as they build it. Uh, and if that's the case, then I think that the Trump team's argument to push this thing further back to after the November 2024 election, it looks like a better and better argument as the days go by. Uh, one other point, if I can, on adding the third defendant. Go ahead. Uh, I've been making this point since the indictment first dropped that uh, based on the intent and knowingness requirements of the statutes that they've uh, they've indicted the president under, they need a member of Trump's team, I believe, uh, to flip and testify to his state of mind and to his intent. So first they tried with Evan Corker and a former lawyer of his. But I think they have attorney-client privilege issues there, and I think that's not going to work. Then they exerted illegal pressure, I believe, illegal pressure on Walt Nauda and his legal team to try to get Nauda to flip. That didn't seem to work. So now they've indicted the maintenance guy at Mar-a-Lago, Oliveira, who, I mean, it's such a tenuous case. But again, I think that the, what they're trying to do here is get somebody who may have been in the room with Trump to testify against him. And unless they can do that, I think this case is going nowhere. Well, I think, uh, you know, one of the biggest things we've heard out of Trump world recently from a lot of the guests we talked to on the show, others who don't come on the show, but provide us with a little bit of insider info that we kind of get out there to our listenership is the fact that no one is flipping has had Jack Smith climbing up the walls and now they're just going to try and throw the net out wider. And it's like you alluded to at the beginning, them just trying to put everything in it. It's going to make it fall apart quicker because how long can your foundation stay up if you want to just keep making it wider and wider and wider and and broader? And and that's the thing. At some point, if if the jury or the judge doesn't see it, the American people obviously do now. And as the legal course, you know, continues to play out for President Trump, especially in this document case, I I think that he's going to be okay there. Well, this has been awesome sitting down with you today and for getting our show kicked off on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast podcast. We're going to get your website live linked in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you and all the great work that you're doing, where can they find you? Uh, find us on Twitter, Truth Social, Facebook, Instagram, at Will Scharf, W-I-L-L-S-C-H-A-R-F. 
Uh, great to be with you guys. I'm going to eat a big steak for breakfast tomorrow morning. Nice. Always a pleasure, and we love to hear that. This is the candidate for Missouri Attorney General Spot, also a former federal prosecutor, one of our great friends. Will Sharf, have a great Friday. Thanks, guys. You too. Have a good weekend. Morning. I was sitting about 20 feet behind the president's son in the courtroom yesterday, and as the deal started to fall apart, he appeared increasingly upset. Hunter Biden left the federal courthouse in Wilmington after the plea agreement reached with prosecutors last month collapsed. The president's son was expected to plead guilty to two misdemeanor tax charges and was expected to enter a diversion program to resolve a third charge for felony gun possession. But Trump-appointed judge Mary Ellen Norica's questions about the scope and structure of the agreement ultimately led to it unraveling. Plea agreements uh, fall apart every day in federal court, but they don't fall apart in high-profile cases like this based on such fundamental misunderstandings. The critical disagreement between U.S. Attorney David Weiss, a Trump appointee, and Hunter Biden's legal team is over whether the plea would close the door on future charges for other possible crimes. Weiss has said consistently the probe is ongoing. Judge Norica said she felt she was being asked to rubber stamp an agreement she had concerns about and questioned if the resolution to the gun charge was even constitutional. Hunter Biden is a private citizen, and this was a personal matter for him. The White House reiterated the president's support for his son, but stressed the independence of the Justice Department. Republicans have criticized the plea agreement, calling it a sweetheart deal. There shouldn't be two justice systems in America, and hopefully today that's what's being done. Hunter Biden left the federal courthouse behind me without commenting for reporters. He's entered a plea of not guilty for now. A plea deal is still possible. The parties have 30 days to answer the judge's questions before she makes a decision. Well, as we're jumping into the news portion of our show now, uh, coming out of our hit with Will Scharf, always great sitting down with him. I mean, former federal prosecutor was about as close to the courtroom as you could be on Wednesday uh, when this news broke. You know, it's it's we're gonna deconstruct it a little bit more and get a couple sound bites for you guys talking about what happened and how the Hunter Biden plea deal kind of fell apart and where it sits right now. Uh, you know, there was a lot of stuff that was uncovered in that court hearing, and I just think our listenership really needs to understand that when there's something like this and to the caliber and level of of where it could rise to in regards to tying the president of the United States currently Joe Biden to all this. You really have to take into consideration when you see stuff come down late yesterday afternoon into the early evening out here on the West Coast like we did and we saw with Jack Smith um, indicting yet another person in the Trump Mar-a-Lago document, special counsel case, and adding a couple more felonies to the charges that are being you know presented to the 45th president. That's where the there there is. You know, the, this whole... Hunter Biden, Joe Biden connection to their international business dealings, whether or not Joe Biden used his time as a senator, used his office as, as when he served as the vice president, was in on phone calls, you know, received keys to offices, had golfing outings with the business people that Hunter Biden was working with on an international scale and from China and Ukraine, Romania and other places. 
this is what we need to be focused on. The stuff with the Trump case and all this other crap that's going on right now, that's all kind of, yes, it's important. Yes, Donald Trump is facing 140 years in federal prison. Yes, there's a still an indictment likely in the January 6th special counsel case. Yes, Fannie Davis in, in Georgia is probably going to get her 15 minutes of fame like Alan Bragg did and bring you know some bullshit civil case up against Donald Trump on phone calls and stuff in regards to what happened down in Georgia during the 2020 presidential election cycle. But that's neither here nor there. Donald Trump was acquitted. Both times they tried to impeach him. If they had anything on him, they wouldn't have to waste tens of millions of dollars on special counsels to try and invent crimes, present fake charges, like there are now in this Hunter Biden case, and like there is now with people like James Comer and Jim Jordan connecting this to the current president of the United States, while he served as vice president, while he was a senator, while he was a private citizen, and as he lied about it the whole time. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the White House's language, Joe Biden used to say he knew nothing about his son's business dealings, especially at the international level throughout the course of the 2019 campaign cycle heading into the 2020 election. Now That's a pretty finite answer. Now they're saying Joe Biden did not do business with his son. Mm. So very big change in language there. From not knowing about it to not being in business with his son. Sounds like an admission of guilt to me. <laughs> and now that James Comer has finally said that they've not only been able to identify like 20 shell companies that they were cleaning money from, nice. yeah, at least. How, ma how many shell companies do you have? I don't have any. <laughs> I didn't even really know what a shell company. I mean, I did because I watched a lot of mafia movies, but I didn't really know like the legal specifics of what they are and what they do. I kind of want one now. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's always steak for breakfast at LC. <laughs> <laughs> this is huge. And yeah. it's really unfortunate the way it's kind of breaking down because I think I'm one of the few people who doesn't want to see Joe Biden get impeached. Oh, it's, yeah, we need to focus on impeaching all these other assholes. Yes. It's, he's, it's, he's useless. They've already, they've exactly. already decided he's hung out to dry. He's done. Let's use our impeachment powers somewhere else where it matters. Yeah, and, and well, probably more specifically, Antoinette, we're going to be talking in the next uh, segment about the hearing that happened up on Capitol Hill this week where Alejandro Mayorkas was, again, as usual, blasted by House Republicans. And Let me guess, he didn't have the data. He never has the data. You want to know what? It's going to be funny. One of the clips I pulled, he actually says, and I want to go on the congressional record before we even start, that I am not smirking or laughing while I'm answering these questions. He said that. What? Because wow. they had beat his ass in Congress so bad this year so far. Oh, my God. I mean, anybody that watches any of the old footage, he is obviously smirking. Yeah. But, you know. Did, did anybody smirk at him saying that? No. <laughs> Was he smirking and or laughing while he said it? Uh, uh, I just would like to Mr. let Chairman. the con congressional record show that <laughs> I'm not smirking or laughing right now. <laughs> We're also going to sit down with former acting ICE director and former federal agent Tom Homan to start that segment at the end of this news one. So it's going to be absolutely great. we got a great show for you guys today. Hunter Biden went to court, and as this plea deal kind of fell apart because the judge was like, Looking at some of the parameters and, and legal ramifications of where this could go down the road, it seemed like this was a Justice Department and, and White House cooked up forever pardon. For, like, this protected Hunter Biden from any future investigation. Well, it's like an omnibus bill. We're just going to fucking stuff it with all this extra shit to, to, to benefit us in the, in the long run. And, and mm -hmm. it, that's a perfect analogy to use. And then Hunter Biden in court, you know, pleads not guilty 
to gun crimes that he was about to plead guilty to, and if to, he was getting the deal, and to not paying taxes. But but in the plea deal, like as you're actually reading it, the court, who was your partner? Hunter Biden's lawyer. I don't know how to spell his name. It's Yi Jinming, the chairman of the company. <laughs> the court is that company still in existence? Hunter Biden's lawyer, and obviously no. So he he's. Say pleading not guilty to not paying taxes on, on from places like China, and then in the plea deal it says that he went into business, made millions, and didn't pay taxes with his business dealings in China. Right. Well, isn't it? Isn't there like a difference? Like, I was reading something about pre-trial diversion agreement, and then there was um, the prosecution, the non-prosecution agreement. So they were like kind of playing both sides of the fence, to say the yeah. least. You're playing both sides. There you go. <laughs> Guys, I think we're all in agreement here. Any other citizen on the planet? Oh, yeah. Done. You you have millions of dollars of unpaid taxes. Oh, you, you're you, you just get up. You know what? Future business dealings, make sure you pay them. As for these ones, not so much. How many How many extra FBI or uh, IRS agents were they going to get? Like 80,000? Mm-hmm. I think 70, all, <laughs> probably at least 70,000 of them would show up on my front door if I did that. Yeah. Coming out of manholes. Mm-hmm. The other 10 have the day off. Hiding in mailboxes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> holding a shrub in front of their, a tree branch in front of their face to oh, man. act camouflage. Like how, long, how long until the IRS starts shooting people's dogs? Mm. There's been a couple of those cases. I hate too. We just have to understand, I, I went and watched the news last night, and whether it was NBC, CBS, MSNBC, CNN, News Nation, even Fox News. Mm. No surprise. New Trump indictment, new Trump indictment, new Trump indictment, felonies, 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 hundreds of years in jail. Oh, the former president of legal woes and this, that, and the other. And then this Hunter Biden thing fell apart in like the last 24 hours. This is huge. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Next to zero. I mean, they had a couple people on Fox News that want to talk about it. They do a quick panel. Then they talk about how awesome Ron DeSantis is doing. And then they cut to a commercial and it's right back to, well, does anybody president- believe that? No, not at this point. <laughs> not at this point. Wild. Former President Trump, blah, 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 yeah. I saw Texas Congressman Scott Perry weighed in on this. I want to play a clip for our listenership and get some commentary from him. So we can continue this, but they're not able to. What do you think? Well, look, I think the judge is right to, to have that opinion. First of all, they need to hammer this out. We want justice to be served here. But at the same time, we also know, looking at the violations that are well known at this point, documented uh, via Hunter's laptop and through the bank statements, that there are millions of dollars in unrecorded or unreported revenue to the Biden family, and that there are tax charges that go with that, that have, uh, that, that the, quite honestly, the authorities slow walked and made sure didn't occur, you know, that the indictments didn't come and that that the Biden team was tipped off before searches were made. These are unprecedented things. So at this point, quite honestly, I think that uh, not only Hunter should be under scrutiny, but quite honestly, individuals at federal agencies that look like they stood in the way of of the uh, of justice. That's if we're going to have any credibility for our justice system, if people are going to believe that justice is indeed blind, then we can't have officials standing in the way of these proceedings, and that's what it looks like. It looks like obstruction to me. Uh, it looks like a mess right now to me. Uh, Scott- and he's not wrong. No. You know, I've talked to a lot of lawyers over the last day and a half, and they said there are times where during court proceedings, especially where there's like more of a higher profile person who is in as the defendant, there will be 
a little bit of breakdown of the plea deals. There'll be some reworking and restructurings, but the way that the judge kind of reacted to this is like Hunter Biden's still under federal investigation for his fair violations, which is basically the overall premise of all of these crimes Mm -hmm. minus the gun charges. You know, every all of his international business dealings and failure to pay taxes come from him not registering as a foreign agent, especially when you talk about the fact about how hard they've been able to rope his dad into this right now. And I just think that, you know, as this kind of unfolds, they were looking to get it water under the bridge. The White House obviously put out a statement during the press pool yesterday. Corrine Jean-Pierre said she was asked pretty bluntly, uh, does Joe Biden plan on pardoning his son? And she quickly answered no and then segued immediately to whatever the next question or topic Mm -hmm. was that she was talking about. But no at this point or no forever? Is it like a no for F-16s and cluster munitions to Ukraine or <laughs> for, or, the, or or like a no for F-16s and cluster munitions to Ukraine? Yeah. Is it a Pentagon audit or is it $3.6 billion that we found that we could send to other countries to fund forever wars? You know, it, it all depends on what kind of, um, we all know that there are large and diverse ways that you could say no according to, it's definitely a DEI terminology. When you're talking about the word no in the Biden administration. Yeah, just a quick no. is That's a quick no. It's it's hot right now. So, you know, we, we have to just, you know, continue to watch how this unfolds. I got one more clip on this, and then we're going to segue to the new Trump legal woes is, mm-hmm. or whatever they want to call it now. And here's the thing. Every single time someone from the Biden administration is drug up on Capitol Hill and, and you get them on lying under oath, or you have them find new documents in a property that Joe Biden owns, or if he falls or eats shit or vapor locks at a public speaking event, or his son gets in trouble, the special counsel releases some new groundbreaking, earth-shattering, Trump-is-finished mm-hmm. narrative, which is exactly what we're seeing here. We're going to keep it in the state of Texas. Or it's UFOs. That, too, which we won't be talking about on the show today. I've come to pretty much the conclusion, here's the deal. If you want to talk about UFOs, I need ships, I need bodies, I don't want anything else, I don't even want to talk about it. That was another thing. It's a good point you made, Noah, that the news was talking about last night. Everybody was like, how can we have this congressional hearing and nobody gives a shit about it? It's because it's like, because nobody cares. You're telling us stuff. We're not seeing anything. Mm-hmm. That's what, are you interested in, in extraterrestrial life? <laughs> no. no? I don't think that. And I know we said we weren't going to yeah. talk about it, but well, we should, we should dive into it just for a, a second. It's just such a weird, nebulous way that their their testimony is. Yeah. Well, it's a, an unearthly craft and uh, biologics. And it's like, that could be like some piece of space trash <laughs> with fucking I mold know, on it. Some, I saw some clips. I'm like, what the hell is going on? What is this? Like, show me the little green man, you fuck. Exactly. It's just his word. Yeah. We're going to be sitting down with Haley Kennington for the first time today and talking about some social issues, some some big, you know, there was a huge congressional hearing this week also that kind of was undershadowed by the Mayorkas one. And they were talking about the gender mutilation and, and affirmation stuff like that. It was actually really good. Wesley Hunt had one of the best absolute home runs of the whole thing. Here's the deal. When they were talking about that guy who swam with the girls and won, and, and I, I was listening to some of the testimony, I was in the kitchen, so the TV was around the corner, and it's like, they were talking about the size of the person and genitalia and having to forcefully be repeatedly being shown nakedness. They were talking about the locker room, but I was just kind of, I didn't know if they were talking about aliens or if they were talking about no, I thought you were talking swimmer. about forcefully 
shoving <laughs> bits into the speedo. No. Or <laughs> well, one piece speedo. <laughs> but let's keep it. Uh, let, let's finish up talking about Hunter Biden right now and segue to the Trump thing with Texas Senator Ted Cruz. He was on Eric Boland last night. Let's hear it. There is some of that at play, and I got to say the Department of Justice and the FBI have stonewalled congressional inquiries almost from the very beginning. When I've asked DOJ, when I've asked the FBI, their consistent response is they refuse to answer any serious questions about their investigations. But, and you're right, one of the dodges they use is, an, is that it's an ongoing investigation. But I got to say, if, if this hearing had been the day after the plea bargain was announced, I think DOJ would have said, yep, we're done here. This resolves everything. And you might have seen the judge sign off on it. Unfortunately, for the folks trying to cover up the misconduct and criminal activity here, the, the hearing came several weeks after the plea bargain. And in between, the House of Representatives held multiple hearings, including hearings with two IRS whistleblowers that had damning testimony about the Department of Justice engaged in obstruction of justice, covering up, had damning testimony about Attorney General Merrick Garland lying to Congress under oath, actually in response to questioning that I asked him about. And I think given that, DOJ is much more skittish because they realize that the evidence against them is looking really bad, and they were much more reluctant to say, nope, we're not even going to look into any of these allegations. That, that's a big part of what caused the blow up today. What else? You know, a big part of it is, is that this administration still honestly believes that when they go out there in the face of the public and compared with the last administration, which was Donald Trump's, they're loved. They think everybody loves Joe Biden. They think everybody loves their diversity, equity, and inclusion hires. They think everybody, you know, thinks Corrine Jean-Pierre is a hero. That dude who's like the assistant health secretary, the guy who wears a skirt and is a four-star admiral. Mm. Like, they actually think that these people are beloved. And, and, you know, you could tell because the Biden administration's counter-narrative that they continue to leak in the news is, this is a story about a father's love for a son who's an addict. Hunter Biden is one of the biggest degenerate pieces of shit to ever walk this planet. He's banged family members. Literally. He was having sex with his brother's wife while he was dying of brain cancer. Oh, he wasn't dead yet? No. That's so much worse. I mean, he's got bastard kids all over. and, and At least wait till he's in the ground. Even so. I know, but still. You know, and, and, and the fact of the matter is they'll, they'll try to demonize Donald Trump and his children and his family for this and... It's just not working. The American people see it. You could see it in the. the no, it, you're you're completely right, Antoinette. And you know it's it's not showing up in the polls, and it's actually hurting all of the other people in the Republican primary because every time they try to hurt Donald Trump, his numbers go up. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show as well. I want to remind everybody where they're listening today. Whatever downloadable platform: Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeart, Podbean. Subscribe to the show. Rate it, leave a review, please. Also, across social medias, follow us, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts. Follow us and hit the notification bell. All right, let's segue real quick and talk a little bit about the charges that came down against President Trump last night. Obviously, he was less than thrilled, I guess you could kind of put it. Put out a statement. I'm going to read it right now before we get into any audio. This is nothing more than a continued and desperate failing attempt by the Biden crime family and the Department of Justice to harass President Trump and those around him. Deranged prosecutor Jack Smith knows that they have no case and, and is casting about for any way to salvage their illegal witch hunt and to get someone other than Donald Trump to run against crooked Joe Biden. So that's an official statement from the Trump campaign. The headline was all caps, three exclamation points. 
witch hunt. <laughs> I, I love the Biden crime family thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. He's, he's come up with some good ones. So, of course, CNN gleefully broke the news uh, with Donald Trump, you know, being charged additionally, as is one of his janitors as well. Let's hear it. Got a statement from the spokesman for special counsel Jack Smith uh, confirming that a superseding indictment has been returned by a grand jury in southern Florida, adding the new defendant, Carlos, who we've been talking to, and also adding four charges to the prior indictment of former President Trump and Walt Nada. Now, they say that they add at least one or a new count charging former President Trump with one additional count of willful retention of national defense information. And they send us to a specific paragraph in the indictment, which I haven't had a chance did. to read, that will give us more details about why they did that. They also note that they've added this additional defendant. And they say that this new indictment charges Trump, Carlos de Oliveira, and Walt Nada with two new obstruction counts based on allegations that these three men allegedly attempted to delete surveillance video from Mar-a-Lago in the summer of 2022. This is what I was referring to earlier. We know from our reporting that investigators have been asking multiple witnesses whether anyone tried to prevent them from obtaining all of the surveillance footage from the relevant time in this investigation. So it appears that they have now charged the former president, Carlos de Oliveira, and Walt Nada with two additional obstruction counts based on these allegations that they tried to delete the surveillance footage. Now it says attempted to delete. It is unclear based on what I'm reading here if they were successful. Now mm. Interesting. I think it's so funny that Sam Bankman freed FTX dude. Great point. Charge gets dropped. Yep. At the same time, they indict Trump on some new bullshit, just like, well, same bullshit reworded differently. You know, he's, um, he's had 11, 11 Antoinette of the biggest felonious financial yeah. charges against him dropped over the course of the last couple of months since he's been indicted. Didn't he just literally just yeah. steal people's money? Mm -hmm. Like cut and dry. Like, yeah. That's what happened. Basically, one of the worst in U.S. history, mind you. I'm going like, to go out on a limb and say if I did that, I'd be in jail right now. Well, I mean, he makes Bernie Madoff look like, who the hell is that? You know, it's insane. Not Bernie. Steak for breakfast, enjoy a great friend of the show, Paps Enthusiast. Cash Patel jumped on with Grant Stidfield last night to weigh on this. Oh, just for our listenership, Donald Trump was extremely bothered and it looked like emotionally distraught. When these charges came down yesterday, he played 18 <laughs> up at Bedminster. I was like, wait, what? Waved to the press and honked on the golf course <laughs> when they asked him for a comment. So let's hear Cash Patel weigh in on this as the story broke last night. So what does this all mean? Superseding indictment, national, willful detention of national defense information. Do you know what they're pointing to here? Yeah, so look, I was a national security prosecutor at the Department of Justice, handled these types of cases. And simply a superseding indictment is they're just saying, we got more stuff. We don't have a new crime out there. So it's not Jan 6, it's not election stuff. It's specifically um, that they are working off of the original charging document. And so what they say here is that they have now charge President Trump with another count of unlawfully possessing a classified document, the one he was purportedly waving around to a reporter and an aide, as the indictment alleges states. But they're charging him because they now found the document, but their legal theory is still null and void. They admit in the indictment itself 
it's a presidential record. So even if Trump had it, and even if it was classified, the law permits him to have it, and it demands that he can never be prosecuted for it. We've gone over this with the Clinton sock drawer case. The courts have been crystal clear on the Presidential Records Act. So there can, if the original sin didn't occur, and in this case we've said that from day one, there's no obstruction, there's no conspiracy, there's no nothing. They're creating paper crimes to try to scare people around President Trump into flipping and cooperating. That's what they're doing. They're a bunch of government thugs abusing the Justice Department. That sounds about right. You cash. No lies detected. Mm -mm. He'll, of course, be back with us in August, probably twice, as he always is. And, you know, I don't understand. Well, I do understand, but it's like he lays out. You see some of the poll numbers coming out. Over the last couple of days, uh, some Ohio ones from this morning. We got general election ones and Iowa ones over the past couple of days. That we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show. Absolutely crazy to how they just want to take the news cycle, the relevant, important news that kind of casts a light on them for once, because this Hunter mm-hmm. Biden plea deal collapse and and some of the new stuff that that Jamie Comer has been bringing to the front is huge. Yeah. And then you just want to, like Cash Patel said, have no new crimes, but just want to add more charges, which is literally a nothing burger on -hmm. top of a nothing burger. And then it dominates the news cycle for days and days and days. It's just distraction from from Hunter and all these other things that are happening. Getting ready to jump in with former acting ICE director Tom Holman right now. We're going to hear one more clip, a quickie from Ted Cruz. They caught him coming out of the Senate yesterday. Let's hear him. Democrats hate democracy. They are deathly afraid the voters will choose to elect Donald Trump. They don't want that to happen, and so they are trying to use the machinery of law enforcement to prosecute him. I think these these indictments are a disgrace, and I think Merrick Garland should be impeached and removed from office for allowing the Department of Justice to be turned into a partisan hammer to attack the political enemies of the White House. Mm. Again, impeaching Joe Biden doesn't really do anything. It solves none of the country's problems. People like Merrick Garland, Alejandro Mayorkas, Janet Yellen, obviously Christopher Ray. He, he's a termed career government official, so he would have to be removed in a different way. Uh, I believe it's still through Congress, but not formal impeachment. Those are the people that should be getting asked to leave forcefully uh, from their current government positions and not people like Joe Biden because then Kamala, like the best scenario for me Strip it all the way down to the fucking frame. Mm-hmm. Every single thing, receipt on Hunter and Joe Biden, Jim Biden, the whole crime family, all the grandkids that got money, all of it, get witness testimony, video, audio, you name it. it it's pretty funny, too. That guy that's uh, Hunter Biden's best friend, he's going to be testifying on Monday, Devin Archer. It's now been released to the public that's going to be a closed-door deposition. Ooh. So all we're going to get is Jim Jordan and James Comer coming out and telling us what they heard, second, you know, fiddle, but not getting the actual receipts from this guy. It's not going to be a congressional hearing. But I would like them to just strip all of this stuff down to the frame, investigate and prosecute Joe Biden after he loses the election. Mm-hmm. And, and then we could just move on with our lives. Joe Biden is not the same Joe Biden that was doing illegal business dealings 10 years ago. He's not. This whole, like, I even see Kevin McCarthy starting to come on board saying he's open to an impeachment inquiry, which is like even before presenting the articles to be reviewed before they could be presented as actual articles of impeachment. 
Hopefully he plays his hand a little bit smarter. I don't think Joe Biden uh, should be impeached also because I don't think Donald Trump wants him to get impeached as well. But, that, you know, that's something we can argue about at a later date on a different show as more of this stuff starts to come to light. We're getting ready to jump in with former acting ICE director Tom Holman right now. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available on the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us first on the show today, he got this big Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. He's the former acting ICE director and a retired federal agent, one of our great friends, and always happy to sit down and speak with Mr. Tom Holman. Sir, thank you for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, I'd like to say good times, but... It's quite the opposite when it talks about the U.S. southern border. What's the latest on what you're doing right now, uh, Tom? You know, you've been doing a lot of speaking events. You work for a great organization that's bringing uh, accuracy of the awareness levels that need to be, you know, known by the American public about the crisis that's still ongoing on the U.S. southern border, even though this current administration will tell you quite the opposite. What's everything that's going on on your end that you can catch our listenership up on? Well, what, we, what I just started is uh... – Several weeks ago, uh, a new nonprofit, uh, Border Nine One One, and, and uh, the attorneys finishing up the five one C three C four designation. The website should be up in two weeks. People can actually go to Border Nine One One dot com and sign up uh, to get messages once the website's up and running. The team I brought together, in my uh, opinion, is the is the best. Immigration enforcement, border security, um, border law enforcement team possible. I brought in Mark Morgans, uh, Commissioner of CBP under Trump. I brought in Tim Ballard, uh, of course, who just did the, uh, uh, the, the movie on the trafficking of children. I brought in Sarah Carter from Fox News. I brought in Jason Jones from Newsmax. Jason's been on the border for decades, and he ran the intelligence division of Texas DPS knows a lot about the criminal cartels more than anybody else I know. I brought in Victor Avila, you know, the, the agent who was, uh, uh, his partner was killed in Mexico. He was severely wounded. He's worked at, uh, with Mexican law enforcement for years down there uh, representing HSI. I brought in Derek Moltz. Derek Moltz is retired DEA SAC. And you might see him on Fox News, Max Lott, talk about the fentanyl crisis. I brought the strongest team of border enforcement experts available and they've all joined border 911 uh and we're going to spend the next year going around the country educating american people on border security that it's not just about illegal immigration anymore you think whatever your opinion is on illegal immigration uh when you cause a crisis this big on the southern border it makes the border vulnerable to terrorists make it vulnerable to criminals gang members trafficking of women and children sex trafficking and uh so we're going to we're going to raise something next year, and all we want to do is educate the American people on border security. What does border security mean? How does it affect you? 
how's it how, how, how it has become the biggest national security failure this nation has ever seen so when you get to voting booth next year pull the lever for the person man or woman who's going to take border security seriously i think it's president trump uh but you know i'm not gonna tell people to vote for they get you know but if you want more after you after you're educated come to our events and see what's happening get the truth about what danger this open border is, is presented to this country i think you can go to voting booth next week and, and vote the right way now you mentioned president trump and we're going to get to that in just a bit director but i want to talk about this dream team here this sounds like a 90s bulls three-peat championship team of people who have been big guns in working to combat all of the crises that have been happening along the U.S. southern border for decades, uh, whether it's someone who's bringing awareness via the media and investigative reporting like Sarah Carter. You mentioned Tim Boward, who just had an amazing success uh, with his movie. Victor Avila, who was the partner of the officer who was killed by the Mexican drug cartels. And even, you know, Mark Morgan, who during the Trump administration helped lower these numbers, the ones that are through the roof right now, to all-time lows and, and did help us have the most safest and secure border in the history of our nation. Now, I want to talk about the, how these people are going to be able to make a difference right now in this election cycle. There are a lot of people who are running on policies that seem to parallel Donald Trump's. But one of the things that I hear is that almost all of the candidates are trying to hit President Trump on the border wall. We have fact-checked this over and over again on our show. We have read the uh, memorial uh, brief officially from CBP, which which chronicled the first phase of wall completion at over 450 miles of wall, and then the start of phase two before the COVID pandemic shut it down. When you have people like Ron DeSantis still going on places like the news right now and, and talking about how Donald Trump maybe completed 50 miles of wall, number one, how absurd of, is that? And number two, how great of a job did we do the first time Donald Trump was in office in regards to not only building that wall but having border security? Well, first of all, I would say shame on Ron DeSantis. Uh, we don't need to pretend Trump. We got Trump, and we got the original. And every policy he's talking about is Trump policy. You know, Trump Trump was a game changer, right? Whether it's the wall, whether it's remain in Mexico, whether it's Thursday country agreements, a game changer. Uh, Trump built 465 miles of wall. Ron DeSantis hasn't built an inch. And bottom line is, they say, well, they're, they're trying to dis disseminate, you know, only 50 miles of new wall and the rest of us replaced wall. President Trump built the wall where the Border Patrol wanted it. The Border Patrol prioritized. Border Patrol came up with a prioritization. Here's where we need to wall first. And some of that was there was a barrier there. It's dilapidated. Thousands of people are crossing that area. Border Patrol, okay, this, used, this, this fence used to work. Now it's falling apart. The biggest crowd's coming through here. We need a brand new wall here. So President Trump built the new wall where the Border Patrol requested it to be built based on, based on their priorities and the illegal entry numbers. So yeah, there's there's replacement wall built, but it was because that's where the aliens were coming. So for DeSantis to say things like, you know, he, he could have done more, he could have built more, he didn't build all new wall. He, he's a moron. He, he, all you gotta do is look at the friggin' data. President, President Trump, his, this wasn't his wall. He'll tell you the first thing that wasn't his wall. This is the American people's wall. This wall is built exactly where the Border Patrol wanted it, when they wanted it, and where they wanted it. And, and, and that's what the great thing about President Trump was. He listened to the experts. You know, he listened to people that had 30 years on the border, like myself and, and others. 
and he built it, it, it. So Ron DeSantis, I heard him say the other day, could have done more. Really? What more? What more? What more could you have done, Ron DeSantis? Because most of your policies in Florida, you're losing through the court systems. So you're not really, you know, a talented in, in, in immigration enforcement in the state of Florida. And now, now, look, let me say this. I'm proud of what DeSantis did in the state of Florida. He, he's, he, he's taken on the woke and he's, and he, he and he, and he is trying to pass some sense of immigration legislation in Florida. I appreciate that. But don't come on and attack a president who had unprecedented success. I worked for six presidents, starting with Ronald Reagan. Even Clinton and Obama took some steps to secure the border because they understood, like any president should, that you can't have national security without border security. You need to know who's coming to your country and what's coming to the country. But no one did more than President Trump. Unprecedented decrease of illegal immigration at 83% average, sometimes higher than 90. Illegal immigration at a 45-year low. President Trump's policies were unprecedented. He did more than any president in history of this country. And, and Ron DeSantis should be thanking him and congratulating him. So, but don't attack, don't attack this president on false premise because everything he's saying, he's twisting the truth. This President Trump Again, I'll say this again. I was proud of working with the man. He comes back in here. I'm going to work for him again. And I work for him for free. Because I tell you, I've seen what he can do. I saw what he did with Central American countries and Mexico. He held them accountable. He was one badass president. He told Mexico, you're going to step up a military on the northern southern border. You're going to enter and remain a Mexico pro program. And if you don't, I'm going to tear through by billions of dollars. The Central American countries, he made them enter in third, third safe country agreements. Yep. He says, if you don't do this, I'm going to take foreign aid away. Because President Trump knows every administration before him will give Central America millions of dollars to create opportunity zones so people don't have to leave their country. There's opportunities in their countries. It hasn't worked. It's failed for decades. So when I was sitting in the Oval Office, we had this conversation. President Trump said, how they handled it in the past? Well, they send millions of dollars down there to try to prevent, you know, try to create businesses so they don't have to leave their country. How did that work out? It's never worked out because those countries are corrupt and we don't get where it's supposed to go. President Trump goes, well, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to give him millions of dollars. As a matter of fact, what do we give him now in international aid? I'll take every penny away. So he called these presidents, you will do this, or I'm taking international aid away. President Trump did what was necessary to protect our, this country. And, and, and I'll, say, I'll say it again, it's a badass president. He wasn't going to take them you do it, or you're going to be penalized. It's like right now, the fentanyl crisis that killed over 100,000 Americans. What has this President Biden done about that? What, has he held the Mexican government accountable for not taking action on the cartels? Has he held China accountable for, for selling the precursors that produce fentanyl to the criminal cartels in Mexico? He hasn't done a damn thing. Over 100,000 Americans are dead. And President Biden hasn't done squat. If President Trump was in the office, he'd be holding China responsible, he'd be holding Mexico responsible, and we'd be saving lives. So anybody, including Ron DeSantis or Chris Christie or the rest of them, you, you know, attack Trump and what you want to attack him on. But to attack him on his success on immigration enforcement board security is a foolish endeavor because what he did was unprecedented. It certainly was. And, you know, we even reminded our listenership it was great to hear in the most recent town hall that President Trump did with Sean Hannity uh, just over a week ago, him finally bring the receipt of uh, people have been saying like, oh, yeah, not only did Donald Trump not build border wall, but Mexico didn't pay for it. And Donald Trump pushed back on that narrative saying, hey, 
We had the Mexican government mobilize 28,000 troops along the U.S. southern border to assist us in border security to not only stem the drugs that were coming in, but the amount of people. In addition, Mexico essentially set up the entire border with the United States as like a refugee area for Remain in Mexico policies, which also cost billions of dollars, stuff that we did not have to pay for at the time. Uh, we weren't paying the salary of the Mexican military who were patrolling the border on their side as well. So when you talk about Donald Trump not only being prepared to uh, work on the things that he's coming out of his first term on in his re-election bid. He's also bringing the receipts and pushing back on the false narratives that people are trying to create in regards to what he was able to accomplish in his first term or not, which was, like you said, securing the border in ways that we had never seen it done before. Tom, I wanted to be able to segue a little bit. We had a big congressional hearing yesterday, probably with one of your least favorite career government officials of all time, Alejandro Mayorkas. Uh, he got absolutely destroyed by House Republicans. He was, of course, thanked for his service uh, by House Democrats. You know, he came out this week at a speaking event and said the greatest achievement of this time being back working for the federal government as the director of Homeland Security was to remove the phrase illegal alien from the terminology that, you know, the people who enforce the laws on the U.S. southern border use. When you see the now over 7 million, which will probably be over 10 by the time of Joe Biden's first term, who have already illegally crossed the border, the amount of getaways, the nearly 150 known terrorists that we've apprehended, not including all the ones that have gotten away, not including all the ones that we have known to be released into the United States, and just see this stuff piling up. And then this career bureaucrat sit up there yesterday and smugly and gently push back on being called a liar and a lawbreaker and just someone who has completely deconstructed decades, if not longer, of border policies. How does it make you feel watching that whole scenario break down? I'm disgusted. I mean, he's a secretary of Homeland Security. And not only does he lie under oath of Congress, he's lying to American people. And look... He can be as smug and as, as, as cocky as he want to be, but I'll guarantee you one thing. The day he leaves that office, he's leaving that office as the most disrespected secretary in the history of DHS. He commands tens of thousands of law enforcement officers that are based in CBP. I don't know a single one that respects the man. He doesn't let the people do their job. And as far as taking, you know, changing illegal alien, when did he become Congress? When did he become the legislature? Because the term aliens is in the law. Look up Title Eight of the United States Code, Title 18 United States Code. Congress, when they wrote laws, they are classified as aliens. If you're in the country illegally, then you're an illegal alien. That's what the law says. So here's the Secretary of Homeland Security, proud of the fact that he's instructing career law enforcement officers not to follow the legal terminology in the law. That's why Rodney Scott left. Rodney Scott retired because he refused to tell his officers you will not use a legal term when you're processing these people or talking about these people. But, and, and, and Mallorca is not only ignoring the law, he's actually violating the law. And, and, and so, you know, congratulations. You're going to retire a, shame, a shameful person. You are an embarrassment to the position you hold. And then even impeach him. What the hell are they doing? They should have impeached him a year ago. Yep. They, impeach President, they impeach President Trump for making a phone call to Ukraine. But you can't impeach Mayorkas for 1,700 dead migrants on, uh, on the border. You can't impeach him over 100,000 fentanyl overdoses because the border is wide open. You can't impeach him because the record number of women and children is sex trafficked in the United States, and they can't find 100,000 of these children that they released as so-called sponsors. 
You can't impeach him for the 267 known suspected terrorists that crossed the border and were arrested. You can't impeach him for 1.8 million gotaways and border force arrested people from 171 different countries. Many of these countries respond to terror. If you don't think a single one of that 1.8 million gotaways didn't come here to blow something up, then you're an idiot. This, this, this secretary has sold this country out. We're less safe on his leadership. He has created the, the biggest national security failure I've seen since 9-11. They got plenty to impeach him about. So the Republicans need to grow a set and get it done. They certainly do. And uh, to see that we haven't had any of these officials, you know, Merrick Garland, the way he's handled the Hunter Biden stuff, obviously the business dealings that they're connecting back to Joe Biden's office during his time as the vice president and a senator before that, and the things that Alejandro Mayorkas has not done uh, in his term as the head of DHS are, are clearly enough receipts to definitely have, uh, begin impeachment proceedings on all of them. And we're in agreement with you. Well, well, and, and let's not forget, this man stood at the White House podium and slandered the men of the Horse Patrol in the Border Patrol when he was briefed before that press release by his public affairs officer that no whipping occurred, nobody was whipped. But he went, he went to the White House podium after being told that by his own staff and attacked the men of the Horse Patrol. And I know for a fact these men's wives and kids were bullied in school and bullied in churches about their dads being racist. Their careers will never be the same. They're not back to full duty as we're speaking. Mm. They're going through litigation. The bottom line is, here's the Secretary of Homeland Security attacking the very men and women who put their lives on the line for this country every day. He don't put a gun in his set. He don't wear a Kevlar vest. He don't stand on that board at 3 o'clock in the morning when a censure goes off and they know someone's walking down the trail is just an illegal alien looking for a better life or is a heavily armed drug smuggler. They don't know, but they're going to take it on while he's sleeping comfortably in his bed. But he's going to stand in the White House podium and make America believe they're racist and they're with black people. To this day, he has not apologized to these men. That alone should cause this impeachment. Mm -hmm. he, is a, he, he is their commander. I tell you what, I'm not a perfect man. But when I was vice director, I had the six that ever, the 20,000 men and women that worked for me, I had their six, especially if they're doing what I told them to do, their job. So that alone should cause impeachment. I can, I can write a three-page list in the reason for impeachment. And, and for him to sit there, when Chip Roy brought that up, he didn't have him apologize. No. Those, those men were embarrassed by the Secretary of Homeland Security and the President of the United States. And they've yet received any apology after the investigation so they didn't whip anybody. And as, and just tell you what, I wore that uniform. These are American heroes of the finest 1% this country has. And for the Secretary of Homeland Security to do that, he should have been part of the next day. If you had a president that had any integrity at all, he would have fired him that day. But we don't have a president with integrity. We don't have a security. We don't have a homeland security sector with integrity. That's it right there. And, and when you talk about Joe Biden, I mean, you got a three-page list of uh, things that are wrong with Alejandro Mayorkas. It'll probably be a short story, several-chapter book on Joe Biden, to say the very least. Tom, this has been great sitting down with you today. We're going to live link border911.com in the show description today. Anything else or anywhere else you want our listenership to go to, we'll live link it as well. Well, I mean, let me just end with this. People, I want people to be mad, disgusted with what's going on. This administration, because their policies, 300, over 350,000 children have been smuggling in this country. Because they're more concerned with releasing quickly. Uh, the head of HHS, uh, 
But Sarah the other day was bragging at his speech how quick they're releasing these children. They can't find a hundred thousand of them. I guarantee you, based on my 35 years experience, some of these children are in forced labor. Some are living with pedophiles. Some are being forced to do child porn movies. These hundred thousand that we know about are living a life of hell because this government did not do the right thing and secure the border. They didn't do the right thing and vet the sponsors the way the Trump administration vetted sponsors. When we vet a sponsor, we vet them from A to Z. We vetted everybody in the household to make sure no one lived in that house was a threat. And we followed up. If anybody thinks that's the right thing, that they, I, I, people still say, Tom Holman, you family separation, family separation. 2,500 families are separate because we prosecuted the parent for a crime. Kids can't go to the jail with a parent. That happens to U.S. citizens' families thousands of times a day. When I was a cop, I arrested a father and mother with a child. That child went to CPS. As sad as it was, the child can't go to jail with the parents. It happens to U.S. citizens all the time. Mm -hmm. They want to keep talking about it. I read an article the other day. They, they keep family, you know, the, the family separation, family separation, 2,500 separation. You got 100,000 missing children. They ain't saying a damn word about them. At least when we separated children, they were, they were, they were, they were in licensed daycare facilities. Yep. Being taken care of. We don't know 100,000 children even are right now. And they dare to attack the Trump administration as being uh, uh, inhumane. Is sickening. It, 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 they ran down to the border when two children died in, in, in Border Patrol custody when Trump was president. Unfortunately, two children died. They were in bad shape. Border Patrol EMTs and everything they could to save these children. But right away, they attacked the Border Patrol as being racist and inhumane because two children died. Now we got 1,700 dying, have died on U.S. soil or an historic record, and not a damn word from people like Castro from. Uh, uh, a congressman Costner from Austin or AOC, the ones that ran down there in big tears swelling up in their eyes while the Trump administration and these two children died. Now you got 1,700 migrants who died. What are you hearing from the left? Not a damn thing. It's a shame. I'm disgusted that this, this the politics in this country are terrible. And I don't care if you're Republican or you're Democrat or independent. A secure border saved lives. When you have illegal immigration down 83%, when 83% less people are coming, less people are dying, less women are being raped, less children are being sex trafficked, less fentanyl is getting into the country, less known suspected terrorists are entering this country, because when illegal immigration is down 83%, every agent's on the line, they're vigilant, they're arresting people. Shame on this administration. I'll end it there. I'm just, I'm, I'm you're getting, now I'm just fired up. Well, it is. Fired up. Disgusted. You're a lot of things, Tom. Everybody should be fired up. But the fact of the matter is, you've also never stopped working for the American people, and we can't wait for you to get back and, and in some context, continue to work for us again as you're doing right now. We're definitely going to look forward to having you back on the show at some point in the future. We thank you a lot for coming down and sharing with us today. This is the former acting ICE director, retired federal agent. He's going to be heading order911.com. Mr. Tom Holman, thanks for joining us on the show. Right, thanks for having me, guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep spreading the truth, for God's sakes. Thank you, sir. Forty uh, illegal aliens you've encountered who are on the terrorist watch list. Again, this is Mr. Ice's question earlier in the day. What is the status of those 140 individuals? First of all, let me let me um, allow the record to reflect that I'm not smiling. Okay. Nor have I smiled? Yeah. Um, um, uh, Mr. Chairman, will you repeat your question, please? The 140 individuals wow. who have been encountered on the border who are on the terrorist watch list. What's the status of those individuals? Uh, I, I believe that question already has been posed, and I mentioned to the chairman that we will provide that data to you. Have yeah, any of them been released, I guess is another way of framing that. Um, 
all uh, of Mr. them. Mr. Chairman, let me say this. Individuals who pose a threat to public safety or national security are detained pending their removal. Here's what I'm, I'm sort of getting and what your non-responsiveness is demonstrating. The Mayorkas doctrine is this. If you show up at the border and get released into the country, if you don't commit a specific aggravated felony, which by the way doesn't include a lot of assault and battery, doesn't include a lot of bad domestic violence, but if you're not one of the people who commit those crimes, you get to stay forever. Is, is that a fair characterization of your doctrine? No, that is false. Then tell me how many you're sending home. No, that is false. Okay, well, they, but you don't know the number of how many you've sent home. Here's another number. Two point, I'm sorry, 1.2 million people today have been through your entire process, right? They've been through what you call a removal proceeding is just an amnesty dance. Because after the 1.2 million people get an order from the judge saying that they don't have a basis to be here, you still don't remove them. Like, what's your plan to remove those people? Congressman, that is false. Americans are safer today on the border, in the air, at sea, across the country, and around the world because of the Department of Homeland Security. Well, that was great sitting down with former acting ICE director Tom Holman, who's probably going to be the head of DHS in the next Trump administration. I don't know what was better, him calling Alejandro Mayorkas a lawless, ignorant thug or calling meatball Ron DeSantis a moron. (laughs) (laughs) It's a toss-up. I know, right? Speaking of toss-ups... Alejandro had a bad day up on Capitol Hill this week. You think? To say the least. He was brought before Congressional Committee, the House Judiciary, and Jim Jordan to talk about a multitude of issues, everything ranging from government censorship to the border that's been opened wider than ever before. He was smug, defiant, and House Republicans have pretty much had it with his stance on policy change. Uh, I I was neither smug... uh nor defiant, sir. Right. And what that is false. And what Congress people are now calling the Mayorkas doctrine, Mm. which will be his legacy once he's hopefully impeached. Jim Jordan mentioned it. House Republican from California, one of our favorites, Daryl Issa, was hitting him up a little hard on the whereabouts of some of the individuals who are on the terrorist watch list who have been released into the country and not removed. It got so hot at one point a congressman from the other side of the aisle actually interrupted and tried to take over hmm. Daryl Issa's time. Let's hear it. By definition, Mr. Secretary, if you're on the terrorist watch list, you represent a threat. So 140 people on the terrorist watch list so far this year. For the record, would you please give us the status of each of those individuals so we know what you did with people who were on a terrorist watch list, who were apprehended, many got away, but were apprehended, where they are today so that Congress can know. Congressman, I would be pleased to provide you with that information with respect to the individuals encountered at the southwest border. Thank you. I yield back. Gentleman yields back, but could the secretary answer that question? What is the status of those 140? Uh, Mr. Chairman, what, I, I Mr. Chairman, what is the what, point of order? What authority or point of order? Gentlemen, uh, state of point of order. Mr. Chairman, under what authority are you speaking right now? Whose time? Just, 
Whose time is it? Are you being recognized for five minutes? I was just asking what I thought would be a question Mr. every Chairman, single member not, of Congress it's, it's, would want to know. You know I, I'll do it on my time or someone other's time. Mm. I appreciate that. He had asked the, the question and there wasn't an answer to the status of the 140 Mr. Chairman, that he did. The, the witness provided an answer and if you want to use your five minutes, I will I'll do it on my time. That's fine. We recognize the gentlelady from California. And the gentlelady wow. from California was obviously squad member, oh. yeah, Representative Jayapal, who's a piece of shit. Let's, I mean, she, she, wor- she worried that some of them are going to be her family members or something. <laughs> Wasn't right, he on Omar? He, oh, <laughs> she asks him a question and doesn't even let him answer it as well. Pen pals, social media contacts. <laughs> this hearing, to say the least, was a zoo, and the hotness level that it got by the end of them trying to drag Alejandro Mayorkas was it, it's just embarrassing to see a cabinet level position act yeah. this way in front of the American people not take any kind of accountability for any of the stuff that's going on down on the US southern border right now and I'm just so tired of just how weaselly everybody is allowed to be it's like it's like built into yeah. the government now it's like well if i don't want to answer this question i'm just going to give you some nebulous answer that yeah. i'll obviously never follow up on like oh i'd be uh, very happy to uh, get you that uh, I- 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 information it's a- non-fucking and that's it that that's all like you don't know oh, where yeah. any of them are like uh I, th- they've actually all been released like i mean i wouldn't <laughs> be surprised Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a large majority of those, 100%, are probably released. Of course. No surprise. It sounds like you guys are asking for information on something that's part of a Ongoing on- investigation? <laughs> ongoing criminal investigation. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck! Uh, I, can, I can't speak to uh, the uh, uh, information regarding this ongoing uh, criminal investigation. Uh, that data is uh, unavailable. Oh, Fucking gosh. hate that guy. It's he's got such a punchable face. It was, I know. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It, it, I want to give. I want to like just like you know just do like the classic schoolyard bully. Just grab him around the head and just freaking noogie the shit out of him. Atomic wedgie. Freaking nose. Yeah. Throw him in a trash can. Oh, I bet he got. Th- I bet he got thrown in a trash can like <laughs> seven, six out of seven days a week at school. He was definitely bullied. You can tell. <laughs> Are you talking about when he's he getting was, bullied right now? When he was on the varsity tennis team over at uh, Ollie, <laughs> yeah, at Beverly Hills High School. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, oh we got the fucking receipts live. One of our That's frequent cool. guests on the show, someone who served in the Trump administration, has firsthand knowledge. Yeah, was a That's varsity. Too funny, I didn't even think about that. Varsity <laughs> tennis team teammate of Ollie, as he was known back in the day. Mm. Oh, wow. Wearing his nut hugger shorts and tucked in polo with Converse high tops. Oh, my uh, gosh. My serve. Uh, I had. I actually was wearing Keds. <laughs> <laughs> Rep Klein's up next. He was talking about the United States now being complicit as a middleman in the multi-billion dollar human trafficking operation that's been going on down on the U.S. southern border, according to House Republicans. Let's hear it. Really appalling when you consider that lives are at stake, the lives of uh, children being trafficked across this border who are uh, being sacrificed on an altar of radical policies being pushed by your department. You know, you talked about it, you threw out a good one-liner in your testimony about uh, child sex 
trafficking, human smuggling. Um, you know what does immense damage to our efforts to combat human trafficking, sex trafficking, child sex trafficking? Say your policies. A porous border. Damn it. And your policies have yes. directly led to that porous <laughs> border, Mr. Secretary. This is, it is ridiculous that I've had to sit here and listen to you and your denials, your deflections, your obfuscations, the mendacity that I am hearing from you is not just appalling to me, it is appalling to my constituents. And I echo the comments from across this country, members who represent people from across this country over the last uh, two hours plus, uh, really echoing their constituents and the frustration that they have uh, actually shown and, and talked to them about. You know, back in April, we had a committee hearing where uh, there was a witness, a whistleblower, who said that the uh, U.S. federal government has essentially become a middleman in a multi-billion dollar human trafficking operation targeting unaccompanied minors at the southern border. I'm sure that that uh, makes you upset. It sure as heck made me upset. Uh, but when U.S. Customs and Border Protection encounters 435 unaccompanied minors per day, drug cartels and traffickers exploiting 60% of these children in prostitution, forced labor, and child pornography. To make matters worse, in June, the Biden administration released 344 children to non-related adults in the United States, mm. most of whom already had multiple children in their care. These children are prime targets for traffickers for sex or for labor. In fact, a February New York Times article published showing migrants found laboring in violation of child labor laws. Uh, notably, half of the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement's most wanted criminals for child trafficking, guess where they come from? Mexico. Imagine. Can't say enough about when we bring those legitimate receipts. I know. Especially at a point now where you've seen the rise in popularity of the Sound of Freedom movie that finally came out, cruised mm -hmm. over $100 million, and is doing absolutely fantastic. It's that awareness that makes hearings like this even though we don't get the actual, you know, payment for penalty from Alejandro Mayorkas and his radical progressive policies and what they've done to our homeland security. Well, it makes it makes more of the the answers that he's giving yeah. seem so much worse because people are becoming more aware of what's going on. Yeah, and they're watching now. They're now they're paying attention and seeing how which is why they wanted to suppress that movie to the extent that they did and still exactly. are. What were you saying, Ron? I'm sorry, we interrupted you. Oh, no, it's okay. I was going to say apparatus. Ding. But that ship has sailed. <laughs> I want to remind everybody who's listening today, though, hope you're enjoying the podcast. And if you're listening to it on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeart, or Podbean, please subscribe to the show, rate it, leave a review. We always read them. We love them. And then across social media is Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find our accounts, follow it, and hit the notification bell. Also want to remind everybody that Haley Kennington is going to be sitting down with us for the first time in just a few minutes. She has worked on editing some amazing America First documentaries like What is a Woman? The Plot Against the President. We all know that's one of our favorites here. And she's an amazing investigative journalist that we're going to be talking with for the first time today. Moving along, I did mention government censorship. That also is one of the components that DHS has radicalized since Joe Biden took the Oval Office back in 2021. And we brought one of our very best America First congresswomen, Harriet Hageman, out of Wyoming, to drop some receipts and put Alejandro Mayorkas on notice for that. Not only have we discovered just how deep, dark, and disgustingly they've been censoring Americans for the first time in a long time with things like the Twitter files coming out and all the other whistleblowers across different components of the federal government, but 
Basically taking it all the way back to day one, let's hear. Mr. Mayorkas, I actually really want to thank you as well for coming here today, for your performance. <laughs> I have watched with absolute fascination as you have danced and dodged and lied. Yes, lied. Oof. We know you've lied, you know you've lied, but more importantly, the American public knows that you lied throughout your testimony today. And yet you believe that you and your fellow architects of the censorship industrial complex Got think that you mm. should be able to determine what is and isn't true and what is and isn't untrue. You are the walking, talking epitome of the very tyrant that our forefathers recognized would gravitate towards government service. And it is because of people like you that they drafted the First Amendment. Mm. I thank them for their foresight. I thank them for recognizing that you and people like you would do everything in your power to control speech, to control freedom, to take away our rights. And they've written a document that isn't going to allow you to do that. Unfortunately, we still have courts and judges who recognize that you don't have the power that you are attempting to take that you do not have the right to limit our freedom of speech, our freedom of association, our right to communicate. Thank God we have the First Amendment so that we can stop you from doing what you've been doing. With that, I yield back. Wow. Mm. Ouch. Got that him. was, I mean, very, she roasted his ass in a very classy manner. I think Epic. we can all agree here that she was the best congressional upgrade from Liz wow. Cheney in the last election. Uh, yeah, totally. That was great. We know it's a numbers game, and, and that's why a lot of these impeachments haven't really gained traction. But when you yeah. talk about crossing the thresholds, just lying under oath to Congress, uh, like yeah. the current U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland, we're there with Alejandro Mayorkas as well. And uh, I don't know where we're going to go with this. I know that House Republicans are urging him gracefully to step down from his current position as the head of DHS. We all know and have reported on the show, we've seen people like Chris Magnus, Chief Ortiz, both step away, uh, retire, or abandon their positions from leading uh, under components of the Department of Homeland Security over the course of the last couple of months. You know, Tom Holman talked about it too. You just can't take into consideration. And Tom Holman brings more experience to the table to talk about border security and homeland security than anybody else out there. He served under five presidents. He filled almost executive level positions within the federal government and those enforcement agencies in seven different agencies and was the former acting ICE director during President Trump's administration. So, you know, his experience in regards to this stuff and, and the way that we're just unrelentlessly letting in millions of people. I mean, Kevin Kiley put out a press statement who was also uh, in this congressional hearing and, and he actually said it like it is. It's over 7 million people led into the country, not including gotaways. And coming from an open border state and, and, you know, a sanctuary state like California where Kevin Kiley comes from, he'll be on the show again next week. We're going to talk to him about this hearing as well. You know, he's one of the biggest advocates out there that knows how to deal with someone at the radical progressiveness level of Alejandro Mayorkas because he dealt with Gavin Newsom here in the state of California mm -hmm. when he was a state senator here for a very long time, won a lot of court cases against the current governor of California, and doesn't play games when it comes down to stuff like this. I, I just don't understand. Like, they know the actual numbers of people that are coming in, and we know that every single one of those numbers is associated with a price tag of how much it's costing us to process, house, 
hotels, whatever, food, and basically they're they're getting government benefits too, right? Yeah. So we're literally having Democrats voting against fully funding the VA for our military heroes and veterans. Every Democrat. Every single Democrat voted no on funding the VA. Now, I don't know the specific details. Maybe there was some fluff in there that... I mean, but you would have had at least a couple people vote yes, right? Who doesn't like fluff more than Democrats? I know. They love fluff when it's their team that's getting it. I'm pretty sure military veterans aren't usually on their team unless they're Ouch. the new diversity, equity, and inclusion Are you military. talking about the TikTok generation of our military? It's ma'am. How dare you? What about the 80-plus thousand children that are missing? Yeah. Just- I mean, DHS admittedly says that they've lost track of a multitude of small children they have no idea imagine how much more it is though and not to mention the vetting for these sponsors is non-existent apparently too unbelievable yeah it's like literally off children to pedophiles potential pedophiles or criminals and lord knows where these kids are ending up yeah there's heartbreaking as a a parent yeah there's about it yeah there's reporting that you know they're literally giving children to smuggling organizations basically I mean, representatives for those yeah. smuggling organizations who that is those kids are coming over the border four to five times as long as i mean however long they last who knows what ugh, happens yeah. after that it's like ugh. scary no it is and, and and representative klein pointed out as we heard hundreds of kids in june probably hundreds more in july that are going to families who are not blood relation uh some of these i'm air quoting now host families already have multiple children that have you know crossed the southern border and like he said it leads into the exploitation of uh you know, the component of child trafficking that leads to child labor sex work and and just whatever else demonic items you could talk to in regards to what happens when you use a child like an item instead of a human being. So mm-hmm. before we wrap here and jump in with Haley Cannington, I do have one more representative. Jeff Van Drew had heard the hearing. His time was towards the end of the hearing and he kind of put it out there for everyone to hear and gave Alejandro Mayorkas an ultimatum. Let's hear it. For action is now Congress cannot stand by. So we arrive at an inevitable conclusion that I do not take lightly. Secretary Mayorkas, you must resign. Will you resign? No, I will not. I am incredibly uh-huh. proud of the work that is performed. I understand. In the Department of Secretary Mayorkas, if you will not wow. resign, that leaves us with no other option. You should be impeached. And, I- and he yielded back. Yeah, I, I, yield, I yield back. He's Freaking proud, this piece of shit. He said I that. Can't. He said that before. Where he, I'm, I'm extremely proud of uh, proud everything of that we've done. Because this is what they want. This yep. is what they, what their goal was. You know, it is. So he, of course, he's proud. These evil fucking scumbags. I want to remind everybody that's playing. one of from our listenership. Alejandro Mayorkas at a speaking event last week. He said the the crown jewel of his term as the Department of Homeland Security's head was. Removing the terminology that included illegal alien from the official word bank and paperwork within the Department of Homeland Security. So, like Antoinette said, we know what we're dealing with here. House Republicans know what we're dealing with here. There's a lot more American cities after two and a half years of the Biden administration who know what we're dealing with here. New York, we're talking to you. Places in California, we're talking to you. And some small towns in America that now have uh, high school gymnasiums as homeless shelters for illegal aliens. We're talking to you guys as well. We hear you. We hope it gets better. I hope they impeach him, but we'll have to see what happens. So 
We're getting ready to cut here. We're going to jump in with Haley Cannington. But before we do that, let's hear again from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast, she's a news editor at Wrong Speak Publishing. Joining us for the first time, really excited to sit down with Haley Kennington. Thanks for joining us on the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, we've been talking for a while, and we're, and we're glad that you came uh, to join us today because you become highly regarded from some members of the meme community, which we have a lot of respect and affirmation for. So uh, in addition to tracking your work, they had really been pushing for you to come on the show, and I'm glad we were able to connect and get you out here. How's everything going with you? Very cool. Yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah, things are going good, staying busy. I think uh, we can all kind of agree that's the only way to stay in this news cycle. It's like... <laughs> I can't even tell you how much anxiety I have before on Monday night and Thursday night before our shows. When I go to bed, the show script's done, the audio's cut, everything's mapped out. And then I'm like, (laughs) please no new Trump indictments. Please no new wars. Please no new catastrophes. Uh, Joe Biden could fall. We could always make fun of that. But no major news stories because then you just got to tear it down and kind of go off the seat of your pants. But. Haley, I do want to talk about the latest piece that you did over at Wrongspeak Publishing. Uh, The title of the article was shocking. COVID-19 vaccines linked to disturbing autopsy results. Stunning Lancet study shows removed within 24 hours. No surprises there, but what was more shocking, as you you so elegantly put it, was the contents of the actual report. You want to let our listenership know everything that you've been working on regarding that? Uh, yeah, well, it was Dr. McCullough, who is well regarded in the COVID field and in uh, cardiology specifically. Um, he, along with some other doctors, had looked into the study and and taken, I think it was 325 um, autopsy reports um, and had found that the, the number one thing in all of these, obviously, they had taken the vaccine. Uh, was issues with the the heart region, so cardio, um, you know, myo myocarditis, things like that. Um, but yeah, it's I think it ended up being seventy five percent or seventy six percent of of those people uh, all had issues with m- one major organ system. Um, but yeah, so it was on the Lancet um, for less than twenty four hours. It was pulled down, um, and they basically just said, you know, <laughs> that they couldn't back up you know, their study that they had put out. Um, and Dr. McCullough went uh, on a media tour and spoke about it quite a bit, actually, which is how I picked it up. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty much things that the majority of people already knew. Um, a lot of these people don't want to admit that this has happened. Um, but I think what we will find if uh, they don't, if they can stop censoring these doctors left and right uh, who have the information is that we're going to see a lot more of this coming out soon. No, I, th- I think so. And, and when you look at it, you know, it doesn't really surprise us that they pulled it back because of the amount and, and what the content of, of the report was. But how much longer do you think it's going to be before people start waking up? I mean, it's one thing to see people like Rand Paul go on and rant about it up on Capitol Hill. Uh, Dr. McCall has been on the show with us a couple times. He's a good friend of the show. We're going to try and get him back in, in August. We, we definitely love and respect the work and the advocacy that he brings for this issue, especially for the fact, you know, last time he was on, I thought the best thing he said was the COVID debate vaccine is something that's going to go on for 20 to for 25 years because 
that's how long it's going to take to actually test the long-term, you know, effectiveness right. and, and, and side effects of this. So he's like, we can all continue to go out there and, and say, hey, it's not ready. Hey, it's not the best thing to have. Hey, it's not the best thing to give your children. But at the end of the day, long-term studies are going to show what the actual numbers are, and that's the only way we could get there is by studying it for the next 20 to 25 years. But, Haley, what I'm trying to make a point on is here, just in the last week, you've got Jamie Foxx released from the hospital. It doesn't matter what your political affiliation is. Everybody knows who Jamie Foxx is. LeBron James' son, Bronny, has a heart attack at a workout at USC, uh, you know, with incoming freshmen who were just kind of doing a workout day there. And then you have a major international soccer analyst, like, pass out live on television. Like, these are not political figures who are stumping about this that are either having vaccine side effects or talking about vaccine side effects. These are major icons, you know, basically across the planet that have no political uh, inclusiveness to anybody, people that everybody knows. And we're seeing in real time what the side effect, these, this is not isolated incidents. This is not cases of previously undiagnosed medical conditions in most cases. This is people having side effects from these vaccines as very public and famous figures that got them and got the boosters because they wanted to travel. I think a lot of that content goes into the report that came out and, and gives credibility to what we're starting to see in real time. But as you see this, how long do you think it's going to take the American public to finally start to come around and be like, you want to know what? It probably wasn't the best idea to get these things. And I think we need to have a, a real actual and honest debate about it. You know, I think for a lot of people who did get it and aren't at that point yet, it's one of those things where, you know, once you've invested so much time and energy, you know, a lot of these people were <laughs> thumping the idea, you know, and pushing the vaccine to other people. Um, I think you get to a point where you say, you know, I've invested some, I don't know if it's pride that's keeping them from admitting, you know, what it is. I, that's the only thing I can figure. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if it's going to take another dozen you know, famous people to fall over. I don't know. Um, I think it's just going to get to the point, like you said, you know, it's going to take probably a decade or more to see the, you know, long-term effects of it, which was always the problem, right? Like why, why give this experimental vaccine to all these people when it's not been tested? It's the first time we've ever done any kind of MRNA system. You know, I, I don't know. I just think that it's going to get to the point where you can't ignore it anymore and people are just going to have to swallow their pride. And that's when the tables will turn. That's when we'll see them, you know, go from pushing the vaccine and saying it's OK and to actually hopefully going, you know, against Moderna and Pfizer and all these different drug companies that have pushed this. All the media that that was, you know, is still um, pushing the vaccines. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's probably going to take either a major event, you know, a couple dozen or so really big, uh, you know, famous people or, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, the, the glass is cracking because yeah. you'll see the people that had been browbeating everybody online and on social media the most to like, get the vaccine, get the vaccine, you're killing grandmothers, get the vaccine. Like, those are the people now that, you know, even people that are on my loose network of people that I, you know, don't interact with, but they're still, you mm -hmm. know, leftovers from a, a previous life. They're like, they were the worst at like, get the vaccine, get the vaccine. And then now like I have this weird medical condition mm. and I'm just like, right. Oh, that's weird. Why? But nobody really answers. Like nobody gives any information. It's like, Oh, it's a GoFundMe for uh, this so-and-so that has this uh, undivulged medical condition now. And it's, uh, it, the, the glass is cracking like the the bottom of the glass is is fracturing and the water's starting to leak out and i'm just waiting for the full gush just everything coming out myocarditis does affect everyone individually mm. 
<laughs> but you seem so healthy. Yeah, well, it was previously undiagnosed. Oh, of oh, course. right, perfect. Yeah, that's like the new thing. <laughs> Climate change. Haley, I think yesterday up on Capitol Hill, it was kind of not as highlighted as much this week because of obviously there's the Hunter Biden plea deal falling apart. There's the new charges being brought before uh, President Trump and hit one of his special counsel investigations. You had Alejandro Mayorkas up there getting destroyed by House Republicans for his radical open borders policy. But they had uh, a gender study affirmation, whatever you want to call it, hearing up on Capitol Hill yesterday. And there were some really good receipts in there, not only from the Congress people on both sides who were trying to bring awareness about some of the very legitimate dangers that, that you know encompass this whole narrative but how big it's become and and then receipts from the other side people that have actually gone through these procedures and, and you know really regret it as adults and we all know there's stuff going on with like the suicide rates the self-harm uh the the emptiness and loneliness and and not being able to feel complete once you go through these things this is something that you've tracked and kept a big eye on and been a pretty big advocate of bringing awareness on. Do you want to tell our listenership a little bit about what you kind of took away from that hearing yesterday? Well, it was it was pretty sad overall. And honestly, I think that this is going to be just like with COVID, where it's going to take a little more time with this huge push that we're seeing as of the last several years. Uh, it's going to be one of those things where in about 10 years, it's not going to be able to be ignored anymore because you know there's just going to be far too many uh, patients and too many uh, coming forward. But yeah, it was, I, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, seeing, listening to their stories are always uh, sad and heartbreaking. Um, but it really goes to, <laughs> goes to show how strong this force is when they, as soon as they get in, you know, they're, it's boom, puberty blockers, boom, HRT, you're going and, you know, um, and only a few steps later and they've, you know, cut off body parts and whatnot. So it's a very quick process. And it's to me is not something um, that, you know, should be sped up in any way. I think a lot of these people don't spend enough time, whether that be in mental health um, or really for the younger kids, just maturing and going through puberty. You know, studies have shown between 80 and 90 percent of these uh, detransitioners or or people who, who have been thinking about it once they go through. Uh, puberty, those all those feelings subside, you know, so it's something where it's just you're uncomfortable with your body and it doesn't feel right. and It's not normal. You know, the, the answer is not, OK, let's switch you to a different sex. So um, I'm thinking, you know, like I said, give it a few more years. Unfortunately, I think with as the numbers uh, get higher with the uh, people that have been hurt by this permanently and become medical patients for life, I think uh, we're going to see hopefully it turn you know, and them go after after the doctors and the and the uh, counselors, you know, all the people that push them into making a lifelong decision that they can't come back from. And I think that's the biggest thing right there. You know, you talk about some of the numbers that have come out, especially in like the last year where they said all of middle school age kids, like 35 to 40 percent of them identify as trans. It doesn't mean they're going through the procedures and like doing stuff like that. But places like TikTok, places like other components of social media and, and and obviously you know our government is normalizing this stuff then you have like the radically progressive way that schools have downturned over the last couple decades to where we saw cases up on capitol hill this week where there were kids who were transitioning the parents just completely didn't know anything that was going on all the way up to like surgery it's like where's mm -hmm. my kid oh we took him to the doctor to to have a you know gender transition surgery today and they're like what and and you know yeah. th this stuff is legitimately going on in school when you talk about, especially on that front of this battle, 
what is the best way to combat this? Just your opinion on like, because it, it's worked into some school districts now to where like they are sat down as educators and support staff there. And it says, if a kid comes to you and they say they're even questioning their sexuality in regards to like gender and, and being a trans person, transitioning all the way up through surgery, we are not only going to support them, we're going to endorse it. We're going to push them and we're going to hide it from their parents. How do we get away from that? Parent better. Start by being a better parent. Be, um, you know, more present in your children's lives. Go to the board of education meetings. Talk with the teachers. Is it more work? Yes. Is it worth it? Yes. You know, I think that's the number one issue with that. If you're not on top of these things, they are going to weasel their way in. You know, I, I feel like they've always it's who was it that said, you know, the children belong to us, not the parents. Joe right. Biden. Like that's. Just yeah. OK, well, and there's been several since. Um, but that's that's their state of mind. You know, that the, let's be that wedge between the parent and the child. So for me, it's parenting better. Get in there and, and be involved and know what's happening. It's not hard to go to the Board of Education meeting and get the minutes and get your lesson plan for the year. Meet the teachers and the principal and watch it because the minute you take your eye off of it, you know, that's when they're gonna, that's where they're going to come in and it's it's going to be full on. I just think that parents should really be more involved in their children's lives. No, I think that's it. You know, I have small children. And I see some of these cases. I was listening to some of the testimonies. A lot of them were powerful, especially for the ones that have, you know, regrets that they know they can't go back on. It's not like you flip a switch and all of a sudden if you transition from a girl to a boy, you can be a girl again like the next day. It's you have to be able to know your kids. I know in this world, especially in this economy over the course of the last couple of years, there's parents working multiple jobs. They're trying to keep their kids active, like in the community with sports and stuff like that. But when they have those curriculum nights, when they have back to school nights, or even just like once a year, pop in on a PTA meeting, you'll be able to hear the board who governs or, or the school district that's in charge of your kid's school talk for five minutes when they answer a parent who gives some kind of conservative talking point and you'll know exactly what you're dealing with and how high you should raise your, your concern level. And, and then in regards to talking with your children, you just have to be able to sit down with them. It's so easy to get disconnected. I see so many kids walking around, sitting at restaurants with their parents. It's just like everyone's on their cell phones. No one's talking to each other. There's no real connection other than like, how was your day? Clean your room, brush your teeth before you go to bed. And that's mm -hmm. it. And, and we really have to be able to get back to that wholesome, loving nature of, of the connectivity between a parent and their child, which makes, you know, it, it, you, it's like you're sending yourself to school at that point and, and your kids will know. And even if they have questions about it, they'll be so much more inclined to come back and talk with you about it. I think that's the big thing right there. I agree. And I think, you know, the school system is ready and willing to step in and be the replacement parent. So, you know, you've got one chance to get it right when you have children. It's important to stay involved. It, like you said, it's important to communicate with them um, and to connect and be interested in the same things that they're interested in. You know, that's that's a real easy way to stay involved and pick up on these things if they start to arise. It's just a, a wild time that we're living in right now, and we're glad that there's advocates that working real hard out there like you, Haley. This has been awesome sitting down with you today. This obviously, at least from our end, won't be the last time that you join us on the show. We've always got some social topics to be talking on and some important things that you're working on. I mean, you've worked on the What is a Woman and the Plot Against the President documentaries as well, in addition to all the great writing pieces you're putting out there. We want to live link your latest piece in the show description today, but if there's anyone that wants to follow you across social media, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at Lady Kennington on Twitter. There's a link tree there to find the rest of my work. Do an absolutely phenomenal job. This is the news editor at Wrong Speak Publishing. Haley Kennington, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Operation and a string of uh, 
statement. Anything else you want to say? I'm sure it's come back to you. Do you want to say anything else to the press? Senator Feinstein. Um, say aye. Pardon me? Aye. Yeah. Uh, to say. I, I would like to support a yes vote on this. Um, it provides $823 billion. That's an increase of $26 billion for the Department of Defense. And it funds priorities submitted. Yeah, just say aye. Okay, just aye. aye. <laughs> Thank you. If you could do anything at all, Joe, what would you do? I said I'd cure cancer. They looked at me like, why cancer? Because no one thinks we can. That's why, and we can. Oh, what is that? Oh, what is that? An icy? Yeah, that's probably a lot of sugar, huh? Good to see you. All right, four eight. I can't imagine any circumstance under which I would hope that Donald Trump would be our president again. Uh, I don't think he's likely to be helpful to the Republican Party if he's our nominee. I'd like to see someone else. You know, there are a number of really fine people that are running. Uh, I think character matters and a vision for the future matters. I'd like to see someone from the next generation, not an old guy like me. And uh, by the way, I, uh, yeah, I wish President Biden would step aside too, but you know, my wishes don't seem to be coming true. Oh. I can't well, the State of the Union is lovely. Jeez. As you guys probably saw throughout the course of the week, I mean, listen, I know there's some people out there defending Mitch McConnell, some of the more, let's call them, premier mainstream podcasts, but here's the deal. I don't care if the day after he vapor-locked at the podium and had a mini-stroke that he went and did some votes on the House floor and then that night answered some questions on the threat of China to some lobbyists into the wee hours of the morning. Here's the deal. The guy has had some big health problems over the course of the last couple of years. He eats shit just about as much as Joe Biden, whether it be going on and off to a stage at a speaking event or like places at the airport or up on Capitol Hill. And, and to see that stuff the other day, it's just shame on their families for people like Joe Biden and Mitch McConnell more than anything else. Because What's their paycheck? It's not even that. It's the fucking power. Yeah, well, that too. You know, and they're never-ending quest to not retain it. And, you know, luckily for us, people like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell, they got an end date on them. They've got an expiration date on them. They're all in their 80s, and yeah, they all have gonna, health issues. They're going to prop them up until they actually physically die during a press conference, though. Like, like as long as they can weekend at Bernie, these people, <laughs> Biden included. Yeah. Like, that's literally what we're watching. Like, like uh, fucking Feinstein, like the initial wind-up for that – literally saying just say i just say i it's like they're telling her how to vote she doesn't know what the fuck's side. going on she doesn't and she's fumbling through papers looking she, for prepared statements yeah, she's, she's trying to remember keywords uh, it's ridiculous it's an embarrassment uh ron DeSantis, nice job interacting with kids in public again we'll get to him in just a second <laughs> that was awkward the, the funny part was is that jack pasovic shared a, a twitter image of him later that day where he was at wawa grabbing an icy that's a lot of sugar. <laughs> that seems like that's a lot of sugar. And then Mitt Romney. I could go for some sugar right now. He needs to just fucking cope and get over it. Like, <laughs> just binge eat. Just, <laughs> you know, people have been talking about this first presidential debate as well. Everybody would love to see President Trump out there. 
more to lose than gain based off the polls. We'll get to that in just a sec. We're also going to be sitting down with, uh, on the back end of this, and conclude our show today, podcast host and author Brendan Dilley, who's made quite an impact on all things Trump world and the America First movement. Can't say enough great things about Brendan and his wife and the team that they've got going over there. The memes control the news cycle now, and, and their memes are the ones that are dictating what the narrative is. So can't say enough about people like us down here at the grassroots level that don't need anything, don't want anything, don't ask for anything, and tell it as it is. When a couple of us can get together for a segment, it's, it's a big win for not only our listenership but for America First. So looking forward to that. On the other hand, I'm not looking forward to covering this presidential primary. So, you know, there's people that want President Trump to debate. I don't think he gains anything from it. Nope. Except sound bites for shows like this. And I would like to watch it. It would be good. Mm-hmm. And now there's people saying, like, well, maybe he doesn't got it, and that's why he doesn't want to. Listen, at some point he will debate, but participating in the first one at the very least, probably the first two, there's no real big. The primary is over. And that's what people fail to comprehend. I mean, you've got some really big pundits out there saying, like, I don't care if they drop 400 billion indictments on Donald Trump and they put him in jail forever. If that's where he's going to run for president, I'm going to vote for him while he's in prison. And I think there's a lot of people, an overwhelming majority of that, close to 75 million that voted for him back in 2020. And and people need to understand this, which has come a huge... DeSantis campaign as they continue their downward spiral back into the septic tank. They're calling Donald Trump a loser for not beating Joe Biden in 2020. They're not talking about his win in 2016. They're not talking about how many people he's put into Congress, both in the House and Senate and governorships, including, you know, state level officials all the way down to like, I remember he was endorsing Texas water surveyors, you know, over the course of, of his time in politics Everybody wouldn't be trying to do all this stuff to Donald Trump if they knew that he wasn't the guy. There's a lot of people who take for granted, and as is often the case with Donald Trump, underestimate the fact that he nearly got 75 million votes in 2020, the most ever for a Republican candidate and sitting president ever. Mm -hmm. And they just think if Donald Trump was so bad not to beat Joe Biden in 2020, even though he got so many more, 14 more million votes than he did in his first presidential election bid. There's just not that many extra votes. Which is why fucking Biden's vote level just is ridiculous. Yeah. But they just don't think those people are going to show out again. And they want you to think that, you know, Donald Trump gave the keys of the country over to Fauci and gave everyone that hurt our country awards when he left and uh, was working hand-in-hand with all these deep state scumbags who were literally working against Donald Trump the entire time he was in office. It's just not the case. Like, this primary is over. Anything that Donald Trump does from today through when you go to the ballot box in your state's respective primary or caucus all the way up through the general election in November of next year, it's for show. It's for support. And I really hope Donald Trump's having a rally in Erie, Pennsylvania this weekend. We'll have full coverage of it, as we always do on our Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast. Pennsylvania usually shows out greater than almost any other state in the Republic. And I really am keen to see on whether or not they do it this weekend, because after what we saw in South Carolina a few weeks ago, I can only imagine, you know, he's going to have a pretty big 
crowd on hand, and they're going to be pretty rowdy. Some great speakers. Carla Sands, she'll be speaking. She was on the show last week. I was texting with her yesterday, excited to uh, check her out. Sean Parnell, who's going to be on the show Tuesday, uh, former senatorial candidate in the Keystone State, he'll be speaking as well. A couple with the America First House representatives who support President Trump. But let's let's take a quick glance over at the DeSantis campaign and, and see how their floundering has gone this week. So there's been some controversy out over this school curriculum that was approved for Florida, I guess, that the governor's office pushed. And, and one of the talking points that was made out of it, one of the reasons that it's in court, is because I guess the curriculum suggests that slavery allowed people who were slaves to garner tools that they used for their benefit in post-slavery life. Let's just say, for example, a blacksmith. And Ron DeSantis said this is an appropriate way to teach history. I mean, you've had people like Vice President Kamala Harris and America First Congressman of Florida Byron Donalds, who sits at 6'2", 275, African-American. Ain't scared of shit. To say that this is not the right way to teach history, even though that might be a completely valid point, is that are we missing the overall point when we teach things like this in school? Me, personally, I kind of don't care. Yeah. And I, I think... I mean, I didn't want to go to middle school, but I learned some life skills from it. There you go. But slavery is like, that's a little bit more epic than getting forced to go to middle school. Exactly. And, and, and I just don't think we should be talking about that stuff. We should teach... It shouldn't be like a, a, a major point. Exactly. In the, in the curriculum, I guess. Yeah. Why well, highlight it? I mean, then you're just going down to the level of like the 1619 Project, mm-hmm. where they talk about how this country was, you know, founded only on and because of owning slaves, which we all know is not the case. So there was a scrum outside the always back down bus following a speaking event where 72 people showed up to hear Ron DeSantis give his pitch. And he was asked about this. Let's hear it. Hey, were there beneficial aspects to slavery? It's not what the curriculum says. What, what the do curriculum, you think? What the curric- no, there's, no, it's not. And the curriculum is very clear. You have, I think it's like 200 plus pages of all kinds of stuff that you can't read that. Have you read it? So what's your opinion? Have you read it? What's you your, haven't, you haven't, your opinion? But you haven't read it. Right so into the non-answer. That, clear. that makes it very clear about the injustices of slavery in vivid detail. So anyone that actually read that and then listens to Kamala would know that she's lying. And that particular provision about the skills, that was in spite of slavery, not because of. The AP course has made that same point. Other courses have made that same point. Nobody said anything um, about that. And Dr. Allen and those people will say, look, this is what was used post-bellum when these folks were doing stuff. So that was very, very clear. And I would just say, you know, people can, can read it. But, but they did a very good job on it. And there can be no um, confusion about where they would come down on that. Well, Governor, what do you learn about the gimmicks? They're not well over there. There's also now been reports that the Ken Cusinelli-led always back down super PAC and Ron DeSantis's official campaign are now butting heads over direction. We saw the ridiculous amounts of money that Ron's been spending on the campaign for travel and chicken sandwiches. Maybe Slurpees now after he saw that kid Slurpee. There's a lot of sugar in there. He went and got himself one as well. Two. Mm, Double fisting. Yes. We had some 538 poll come out yesterday which showed Donald Trump now has his largest lead over Ron DeSantis uh, at nearly 54% over the total electorate, and that's up three points from just last week. 
So Donald Trump, who hasn't really done anything lately, except get indicted and play golf. I mean, he's getting ready to hit it hard again this week, uh, starting off in the EPA. He has done some smaller donor events in places like Louisiana, Iowa, and New Hampshire, as we've reported on this show, but nothing major speaking events. You know, Ron DeSantis is also running into the billionaire donor class that owns him, screwing him over from qualifying for the first debate. You, do you guys, Antoinette, Noah, you guys realize he still hasn't qualified for the first debate? No. Because even though he has one of the largest money amounts in the campaign right now and cash on hand, even though he's burning through it relatively quickly, it's all coming from mega donors who do max donations and not those individual $5 ones where Donald, that's 81% of Donald Trump's total money on hand. 81% of it comes from small amount donations, like $25 or less. Wow. So what exactly qualifies him? Just you ha- curious. You have to have 40,000 individual donors. Donors. Okay. Wow. Yeah. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Mm-hmm. Almost as tough as the sit down Ron DeSantis had with Megyn Kelly, who, again, <laughs> she threw him some softballs. It lacked on some follow up. She talked a good game. She beat up a couple of his people that have gone on the show, especially people like Ken Kuncelli and, and, and Dave Rubin. They've both been on the show. She put him through the grinder. You know, and uh, she sits down with Ron, and I don't know if it's like, okay, Megan, here's the deal. We'll give it to you, but as soon as you start doing that shit, it's over. And that could completely be the case, or she just didn't want to absolutely destroy him, like Tucker Carlson didn't when they had the Iowa Town Hall-a-thon two weeks ago. You know what I'm saying? Because all the Megan Kelly and Tucker Carlson, people of that caliber, listen, if you wanted to end somebody's political career on a podcast or at a speaking event, you could do it in five minutes. Mm -hmm. Easily. And uh, there's a couple uh, items I want to play from that. We're going to start off here with Ron DeSantis being asked on the question of pardoning Donald Trump if he became the nominee, eventually the president, and Donald Trump was convicted of all of these felonies they're throwing at him. Let's hear it. Would you commit to pardoning him on any federal charges against him? Well, what I've said is very simple. Uh, I'm going to do what's right for the country. I don't think it would be good for the country have an almost 80-year-old former president go to prison. Um, so that's a yes. It doesn't seem like it would be a good thing. And I look at, like, you know, Ford, uh, pardon Nixon, took, took some heat for it. But at the end of the day, it's like, do we want to move forward as a country or do we want to be mired in these past controversies? So non-answer. Yeah. Answer. Wouldn't I mean, I get why, you know, he doesn't want to straight up say yes or no. I mean, and sometimes things need, need an explanation, but at the same time, it's like, hmm. He's, uh, you know. You know what's sad, Antoinette, <laughs> is that the only person in this entire election cycle that would confirm that they would pardon Donald Trump is Donald Trump. I know. <laughs> how, nope. epic, how epic would that Nobody's be? Nobody's <laughs> asked him that question yet, though. Would you pardon yourself? Oh, yes, absolutely. These are witch hunts. <laughs> I mean, if it got to that point, it would be so fucking epic. <laughs> And hoaxes. Also, briefly, I want to play what came up uh, throughout the course of that interview was the topic of January 6th. Ron DeSantis has often said that Donald Trump didn't instigate it, but wouldn't get into any details on what he could have done to, like, change it. And when you hear this non-answer, you're going to think it's, oh, my God, I can't believe that, compared to the non-answer that he gave regarding pardonship. Let's hear it. You said Trump should have done more on January 6th. Like what? 
gosh. Well, look, I think it's I think it's been well documented, kind of his conduct when when it first started, how how he sat there. You know, could, could have obviously leaned in harder. I think. I mean, even his own kids were texting saying, you know, he needs to do more. He needs to do more. Is that criminal, though? I mean, that's the thing when you talk about a grand jury and a potential criminal indictment. That was the toughest question she oh. asked. That was that's so tough. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But here's the thing. There's a lot of people, us included, who know this is over. Like yeah, it, it, I mean, and he's in a position where he <laughs> he's running against the guy that he used to be homies with and you know, like basically made him and he knows he can't say too much. He can't, I mean, there's nothing he can say, really, you know, because then it makes him look like a total hypocrite because the Internet's forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it certainly is. And, and you know, yeah. there's only one thing that Ron DeSantis could do eventually, and it's whenever they want to stop. I think he's getting drug along right now, number one, yeah. just based off of optics. Yep. Number two, because of those two high-level consultants that he's brought on. Jeff Rowe and, and then the one over from the uh, Governor Kemp campaign, you know, and it, it's just, what can you say? They want to get paid. They want to get the max amount of money out of this guy that they can. They're like totally squeezing him. Squeeze, squeeze. Yikes. I mean, he should take Trump's advice. Drop out. He should gracefully and then get to work in the phone banks because that's, listen, at the end of the day, that's where this is going. Whether, what, doesn't matter who your horse is in the race. If you like Mike Pence or Chris Christie, Nikki Haley or, or Scott, you know, Burgum or whoever, mm-hmm. you know, Perry Johnson, they all bring cool things to the table. Vivek, they've all got some good one or two talking points. But here's the, nothing original. No, they're all either going to bow out of this race and leave, you know, the public sphere for months heading up into the election or they're going to get out of this race and they're going to endorse the GOP nominee who will be Donald Trump, and they're going to attach their wagons to his hitch, and, and he's going to take them to where he wants them to go. Period. There's no other option. Exactly. The gang over at Fox News, Trace Gallagher, who I like, he's friends with Cash Patel. He does, like, the late-night news on Fox News, kind of like a little bit of a variety show. Sometimes they talk about some good investigational stuff, but he has on, like, cool guys like Kevin Cork and, and you know, who likes our show. And But he sat down with early election calling enjoyer Brett Baer to discuss the absolute uh-huh. floating dumpster fire that Ron DeSantis' campaign has become. <laughs> and uh, they had a good time with it, so let's hear it. DeSantis let go more than three dozen staffers it's a third of his campaign staff some 38 jobs including two senior officials you know when you take a look at at, at governors and and their history here you know this sense of inevitability that's built around them jeb bush we remember him we talked about tim palente scott uh, walker scott walker Oof. could ron DeSantis be the latest in that group he's desperately trying not to be here he um, is but Brad. this is a big sign a third of your campaign staff we haven't even gotten to august as of yet uh there were real concerns by big donors, we were told, of the spending, uh, the burn rate. And they were spending a lot of money but not getting a lot of bang for their buck. He is trailing in every poll by 20, 30, sometimes 40 points, uh, depending on the poll, depending on the state. And 
you just haven't seen the traction for the guy that was supposed to be uh, the guy. Yeah, it was just wait until Ron DeSantis gets in the race. Right. So there's a change of policy, clearly. There's a change in media strategy. We at Special Report have been trying to get an interview with Ron DeSantis, Governor DeSantis, for months and had asked repeatedly. Uh, we just got confirmation that we will interview the governor in New Hampshire Monday. As long as he you know, and they went on to say maybe the best thing for Ron DeSantis is to pack it up and save. The quote was, save his powder for 2028. That ship is fucking sailed, too. Yeah. I, I don't care if he takes the picture over again of him working the phone bank like Ted Cruz did in 2016. America first will never let you back in, Ron. It's over. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where we just have to continue to stay focused throughout the course of these sham investigations, special counsels, civil cases, and know that the Constitution stands on behalf of Donald Trump, and as he continues to move forward, it's his nomination to take. I did mention that poll today from uh, 538. There was also one out in Iowa. It was like one of those cross-tab polls. Best to improve our economy, Trump 61, DeSantis 13. Strongest to oppose the far left, Trump 47, DeSantis 22. Cares about the needs and concerns of people like me. That's the average blue-collar, hard-working American citizen. Trump 41, DeSantis 17. Ooch. And best chance of beating Joe Biden, Trump 39, DeSantis 12. Ouch, jeez. Yeah. Oh, he done. He's been done. And, and the fact um, of the matter is, I guess for the sake of the news, we've kind of carried it on a little bit longer. We could continue to go on and play some of Ron's flubs and bad things. But, but sooner or later, we won't be covering him anymore. No. And that's kind of, you know, like ever probably because he's done as a governor too, probably. As good yeah, as he was as Florida's yeah. governor, like he, like, he, wait, so we voted you in and you're just going to abandon us and yeah. go be the president? Like, who's going to take over in, in Florida? That's, that's what I was saying so many times before in like past like shows. It's like, what the hell was he thinking? And I almost feel like he's being held hostage and forced to do this because he's not that stupid it doesn't look happy walking around. i agree with you 100 percent, antoinette it's the consultants and it's his wife who wants to be the disney princess and and mm -hmm. the prince to be ron DeSantis, the meatball king of well, america the, the disney princess is a ma'am now so how dare you I, I saw like some memes randomly like people talking shit about her eyebrows i'm like come on people <laughs> we don't we don't even need to do that so we, yeah uh, listen so i don't, petty, I don't think i've man. seen her eyebrows i'm gonna have to look now some of the receipts I saw Laura Luma drop this week that one of the biggest DeSantis owners is like uh, Tony Soprano equivalent to strip club ownership down in South Florida. No. And him and his big fake boobed wife have been sitting next to Ron DeSantis at every event from his private kickoff to his private Utah one last weekend. And then <laughs> Laura Loomer's just <laughs> dropping all like the promo videos for this where like the, the, the husband is drinking and, and the wife is dancing in like some scantily clad lingerie oh, no. to say the least yeah we're getting ready to jump in with brandon dilly right here i do have a couple clips from president trump one which i think our listenership will love he put it out this week i think it's a repeat or a redo of one he did not too long ago but it's talking about endorsing the rnc's bake your vote let's hear it the rnc is leading the fight to help secure your vote in 2024 as well they're fighting bad democrat laws putting folks on the ground to serve as poll workers and poll watchers and engaging attorneys to monitor every step Whole of the watchers. voting process. Hmm. Go to bankyourvote.com to sign up and commit to voting early. Bankyourvote.com. 
We must defeat the far left at their own game, or our country will never recover from this disastrous, crooked Biden administration. <laughs> Sign up at bankyourvote.com now and join the Republican effort to win big in 2024. We're going to win, and we're going to make America great again. Yes, we are. Last one I've got is an interview he sat down with Breitbart News yesterday talking about all of the shit that's going on around him, the legal stuff. Uh, let's hear it real quick from 45. Prosecutorial misconduct. Do you think that this case is the, the cases that he's bringing against you are going to end up, go, when we look back on them in history, uh, we'll be looking back at them like we look back at his case against Edwards, at his case against uh, Senator Edwards, is who you're talking about there, uh, or Governor McDonnell. And he's done it with people of both parties. I think they'll end up being an embarrassment to the Democrats and an embarrassment to our country. And they have lifted my poll numbers. In all fairness, <laughs> they didn't want to run against me. That's why they did it. They did this so that I wouldn't get the nomination. And it actually had the reverse effect. It's yep. lifted my numbers, but I was winning anyway by a lot. And now the <laughs> polls just came out today. I'm winning by like 40 points, 45 points. And I'm also beating Biden by a lot. And DeSantis, or DeSanctimonious as I call him, is losing. <laughs> very badly to Biden. I'm winning by a lot to Biden. Uh, they don't want to run against me. That's why they did it. And it's had a reverse impact because the public is smart and they see this stuff. And now maybe a January 6th case. I don't know. Maybe not, too, because it's uh, did nothing wrong. But what they're doing is been uh, it's not been received very well by the public because the poll numbers are through the roof. But they did this in order to get me out. And it's incredible because the public gets it and it had the opposite impact. I mean, he's never been wrong. So, nope. And I think he'll continue to not be. We're good yeah. where we're sitting right now. I'm excited for the momentum we're going to get coming out of the weekend with the Pennsylvania rally, which, again, we'll be covering on our Tuesday edition of the show. But that's kind of it from the primary trail at the moment. And everything else we kind of wrapped up for you today. We're, again, we're getting ready to sit down with Brendan Dilley. Really excited for that. But before we do, let's hear again from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is hand-picked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. The cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you get a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100.00. Free shipping and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's an author. His book, Still Breathing, The Wisdoms and Teachings of a Perfectly Flawed Man, is one of the best self-help books you'll ever read. He's also the host of The Dilly Show, kind of spoiled it, but also teased him already. Brendan Dilly, thanks for joining us on the show. Hey, man. Thank you so much for having me back, fellas. I'm excited to be here with you. What a, what a wild summer it's been. Kind of a great summer, if you think about it. I do, <laughs> I, I do want to remind you, though, that ICs have a lot of sugar in them. Mm. Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> this guy. Oh. He, I, he, can't, he doesn't have a single win all summer. Not one. None. Zero. He couldn't even ratio Kamala Harris the right way because Byron Donalds came in and dunked on him. <laughs> Yeah, dude is literally, he's on the, probably the one of the most impressive failure feedback loops I've ever seen. I mean, just wakes up every morning and punches himself square in the balls. That is the case. Brendan, you know, before we get into dunking on Ron DeSantis, which isn't too hard to do, we just did a little uh, primary <laughs> roundup. 
I do want to let our listenership, who might be hearing your voice for the first time today, please tell our listenership about your show, what exactly what you do. We tabbed it. You might have a different view. You guys are the biggest MAGA world variety show out there. Strictly America first. You guys do do headlines and talk news, but you also talk self-help. You talk about everything. You guys bring the memes into the video component of your show, which we say not only control, but dictate what the news cycle and the narrative of that news cycle is right now. You guys have done such a phenomenal job over there on your podcast. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. That was a, that was a really good summation. I actually uh, was on a, on a radio interview earlier today, and they asked me kind of a similar question. It's basically Rush Limbaugh's politics with Andrew Dice Clay's comedy. Uh, and then we throw in uh, a sort of uh, uh, old school Saturday Night Live or, or maybe like a... Uh, was a mad TV uh, kind of vibe uh, with the memes and the original content. Uh, it's not for everybody. Uh, obviously, I have a vulgar mouth, but um, we cover everything, man. We talk faith on the show sometimes. We talk self-development, relationships, uh, and we do obviously are, are heavily predicated on politics, and everything is pro-Trump, pro-America. Um, this is not a place to come if you are easily offended uh, simply because this is more like if, if you were going to do a show uh, in a podcast format in like 1989, this is the show. And that's kind of how we do it. And I'm very proud of that. And I've got a phenomenal team around me. But uh, it's a fun place to hang out. We don't take ourselves too seriously. But at the same time, we are having a pretty amazing effect right now on the culture. Well, that's the thing. You may not take yourself very seriously sometimes. And, and I do have to give credit also to your wife. She's an amazing, uh, thank you. Probably co-pilot to everything you've got going on yes. from, from being a wife and a mother all the way up to the things you guys do for America first. But there are a lot of people that take what you guys do extremely seriously. We even had Kevin McCarthy enjoy or Frank Luntz come out and cry about one of the memes that you guys put out <laughs> this week. I mean, that, that made it to some of the biggest cable news shows out there. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, dude. I mean, um, Look, man, we, I mean, we could be honest. Like, I'll set the uh, humility hat aside for a moment. That thing's done almost 40 million plays in four days, dude. Uh, and it went super global. Like it's on that meme is on other news stations around the globe. Piers Morgan has a to had a total meltdown over it. Frank Luntz had a meltdown over it. Um, what What's really been fascinating for us is this thing is is actually breaking past the political boundary into a cultural discussion, which is a different stream altogether. And, uh, and it's a, it's amazing to see. And it's true. You know, I, I did an interview two days ago with the epoch times and he was like, do you understand how valuable and expensive it would be to produce something that does 40 million plays in less than a week? And, you know, and we're, that's not lost on us. I think uh, myself and the creators that I work with, we are a very old school nose to the grindstone kind of uh, organization. We don't think about some of that because I think once you start looking at that, you get a little bit, you just get a little lost in that. And that's not our focus. Our focus is save America by electing Donald J. Trump, save the culture by essentially, you know, through memes and through the Dilly show. And that's what we do. Um, trying to bring some levity back and some conversation back uh, to the culture that's that actually because right now I, I was making this argument the other day we don't have a culture right our culture in America right now is is gray and weird and dead that's why stand-up comedians aren't funny anymore uh, movies are lame and gay and there's not any fun and uh, we're essentially like no we're gonna bring it back and this is how you do it 
is by reminding people what they're missing out on. And we do that with the music and the visuals and everything else. But yeah, that meme, dude, uh, we lost track of it. It was so viral. Lunch deleted it because he thought he could put the genie back in the bottle. On his page alone, it was at 11 million plays just on his shitty little Twitter page. Um, and then when we started aggregating and counting everywhere else, it was over 30, almost 40 million before we lost track. And now it's being played in places we're not even aware of. So, and I keep getting media inquiries nonstop over this thing. <laughs> Listen, you can't talk about the work that you guys do. And that's the thing. Everyone in Trump world knows who you are. President Trump has a lot of respect for the work that you guys do. We, we know this, but I think the greatest component to the grassrootsiness level of it, to the way that you guys go out every day with your nose to the grindstone, not worrying about statistics, not worrying about analytics or anything like that, you guys just do it because you know this country is at such a degenerate turning point right now that if we don't save it in the next 17 months, she probably ain't getting saved. And it literally is the fight for your life. But the best part about it, I think, and you bring it up all the time, not only do you guys not call for or, like, demand recognition or anything, you guys don't care if you get it or not. This is bigger than even President Trump in the big scheme of things mm -hmm. when it's what we're working to do. He's just the horse in this race that, you know, places like The Dilly Show and over here with us on Steak for Breakfast, we've hitched our wagons to. We know that this is the way to save our country, and we don't care who comes on our show or what people say about the work that we do. I know it's the same thing with you guys. We're just out there, and we're going to do it regardless. Yeah, absolutely, bro. You just nailed it. I mean, it's literally, and it's funny, man, because when I started out, dude, I published my book. I self-published it. It was a bestseller. And people who hear that go, wow, that's really cool. And they don't realize that means you made like 1500 bucks your first month, okay? I was poor as shit as a single father. I had no money. I had three kids, single dad, divorced, uh, was like, okay, you know, I'm not making any money. And uh, the conversations I started having with God back in the day were like, okay, like, just give me the ability to do what I'm doing for another month. That I literally <clears throat> lived one month to the next. And so at the end of every month, if I looked and I had enough money in my bank account to pay my rent the next month, it was like a blessing. And that was my mentality was I kept telling myself, if you build it, they will come. And this was in 2013. If you build it, they will come, dude. And I've kind of um, sort of taught that to the meme team. Don't worry about anything else. Worry about trying to top yourself in your last meme. Worry about trying to top uh, each other. Worry about trying to make me laugh on the show. Worry about that. Hell with analytics to hell with accolades. All that shit will come. Become the absolute best at your craft. And what, what happens when you do that, dude, is it gives people a freedom. They go, I'm not being judged. I'm literally just being, I, they want to see the best of what I can create. And here we are. We have original compose. I mean, that meme, dude, is a musical beat that, yep. that is totally original. That is written and in, in, in produced by MAGA Devil Dog. Uh, and, and then the visuals are. Lauren Eve putting together the, this incredibly powerful visual. And then you take the Paul Harvey voiceover and you go, how did you do that? And you go, okay, well, that's bad karma trained his AI um, voice bot to do Paul Harvey's voice, which takes shitloads of hours to yep. do. And then he just simply reads the script. And I mean, it's a beautiful thing, but then what comes out the other side is something that is produced, uh, you know, essentially for $0, just our time. But, you know, 50, 40, 50 million. I mean, who, how many no plays is that thing going to get now in its life? We don't know. But we're already at, you know, almost 40 million plays. And uh, it didn't cost Donald Trump a dime. Nope. And that's that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and what it does cost is other candidates in this race a couple percentage <laughs> points on their already pitiful poll numbers. Let's talk about it. Ron DeSantis is quickly becoming 
the third or fourth place candidate in this race. We've seen other people surge up, whether it's Tim Scott and Nikki Haley in places like South Carolina, doesn't matter, still single digits, or Vivek Ramaswamy, who's you know made some national attention based off trying to run a little bit to the right of President Trump, but at the end of the day, he doesn't have the receipts that President Trump has from his first term to even be a serious competitor at the end of the day. But Ron DeSantis himself, he created the perfect storm of taking former consultants, staffers, lawyers, and government officials that hated working in the Trump administration and hated the fact that Donald Trump didn't want to rehire him for their second term to build his campaign staff and his super PAC staffs. And now it has turned into one of the biggest dumpster fires in the history of politics. It makes Scott Walker and Ted Cruz look like they ran amazing campaigns. It made Jeb Bush look like he was loved coast to coast when he ran in the elections. And, and, and this is where we kind of sit. you have early election caller enjoyer brett bear joking on fox news that ron DeSantis needs to pack it up and go home but brendan what can you say about this no one hits this guy harder than you whether it be on how many condiments he puts on his chick-fil-a sandwiches or whether he's going to choose bucky's or wawa to to eat his gas station burritos at you guys have made this guy's life miserable and i have to say your show has definitely contributed to the downfall of his overall campaign thanks man yeah no you know what the thing is dude is you look at him and what we do is we chip away and we find who you are as a man and as, as, a, as truly as a representative. And we weren't going to hit DeSantis like this um, until we started digging. And unfortunately, that digging began in November of 2022, where we heavily dug in to his policies. And we realized a lot of what had been projected to the public was smoke and mirrors. A lot of his policies were trash. He wasn't nearly, nearly uh, the, the leader or representative that a lot of Floridians had been led to believe. It was a really, really phenomenal PR campaign. So then when you dig past that, you okay, well, that's okay. Maybe it's smoke and mirrors, but his rhetoric is in the right, you know, it's the right rhetoric. It's going the right direction. Well, then his rhetoric started to change, and he started essentially betraying, forget betraying Trump. He betrayed the voter, yep. the Donald Trump MAGA voter and donor, people that were like, you're going to be who I feel that will, I'll be able to replace and trust uh, once Trump is, is, you know, leaves polit politics. I'm going to put my money and my energy into you. And when he started backstabbing Donald Trump, and the thing is, it's so weird. If, if DeSantis had run the exact same campaign that Vivek is running right now, yep. he would be within probably 10 points of Trump. Had he just all he had to do was maintain his his uh, reverence for Donald Trump. All he had to come out with say was, look, I've got different ideas than him. My running and campaigning is not an indictment of President Trump. I believe in him. I'm loyal to him. And if he's the nominee, I'm going to support him. But I felt that I had this is all he had to say was show respect. The truth was the more we dug, the more we found out this guy's policies were garbage. It was smoke and mirrors. And as we kept going, we realized he's a dick and yeah. nobody likes him. And anybody who's worked for him, who I've talked to several people, all of the stuff we've made fun of are it's based on truth. This is actually what he is. He's a weird, unlikable Harvard fucking, you know, Ivy League dick lawyer. And that's what he actually is. And so, uh, you know, it, we one of our guys on our team, dude, Mags, is an incredible memer. He's been around since the 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 meme wars of 2016. And he and I were having a conversation recently. One of the most challenging people that he ever tried to do a meme of was Ben Carson. You want to know why? Because Ben Carson's a great guy. You couldn't meme him. You couldn't drag him because you were like, 
even if you weren't going to vote for him, you didn't want to hit him because he was likable. He was nice. Yep. He had good ideas. He just wasn't Trump. And so he was left alone in the 2016 meme wars. Well, DeSantis is the easiest target I have ever <laughs> had, like for all of us. I mean, he is awkward. He's unlikable. He's consistently dumb. He makes terrible decisions. And then he hired nothing but people who were just like him. I don't know anybody who's watched Ken Cuccinelli give a fucking interview that went, oh, man, I really like him. I'm going to trust his judgment. Like You hear that guy talking, you go, oh, okay, my skin's crawling. I'm out. Like, there's no way I'm voting for that guy. Whoever he's pushing, I'm not voting for him. Yeah, it was rough to have Ken on the show. And we talked about some of the good works he did at the Department of Homeland Security. But as soon as we got into polling, me and Noah were sitting there and we knew that, uh, you know, there was a lot of people who were like, oh, man, what'd you have him on the show for? I was like, guys, we got to let, we got to give everybody a voice. We just don't want to be an echo chamber here. And he came on the show. And then when we pushed back on the poll numbers a little bit, he's like, yeah, yeah, well, it's early. Yeah, yeah, well, we'll see. And then it's just like he gets to the point to where he's, the only person he's defending is himself. It's not even Ron DeSantis. It's like now he's talking instead of steak for breakfast, he's talking into a mirror saying, like, everybody likes him. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. No, you're out. You know what? There's nothing wrong with you guys giving him a platform to talk on because, look, if he had persuasive, charismatic um, people, I would be a little bit more like, hey, guys, knock it off. That dude or that woman's like really likable. She's changing hearts. Dude, you give these people a mic and you just like, here you go. Donald Trump's going to go up another half point off this interview. Yep. That's the reality because they don't even believe what they're selling. I listened to Ken last night with Matt Gates. It's the same thing. He's like, well, I'm having a good time because Matt's like, it doesn't look like DeSantis is enjoying himself. And Ken goes, well, I'm enjoying myself. It's like, that's great. Ken. I'm <laughs> sure you are. You're stroking yourself a paycheck every day sure on this guy's back. <laughs> no, that's it, Brendan. I mean, the only people who are enjoying this ride with Ron DeSantis right now are the paid consultants who are going to run this as long yep. as it can go into the ground. But we all know it's over. The primary's over, but no yes. need to debate, even though we'd all like it for sound bites. And, and Donald Trump just needs to put his head down. He's probably going to have an amazing rally this weekend in Pennsylvania, which shows out larger than most places, to be honest with you. And uh, we'll be tracking that as we continue to track with you here. We want to be able to put everything on our show description today to direct people towards your show, uh, your organization, obviously everything you guys got going on. We're going to live link the book as well. People that aren't following you on social media, Brendan, where can they find you? Uh, Twitter at Warlord Dilly dot, uh, I guess it's Warlord Dilly. Twitter at Warlord Dilly. But you can also go to DillyShow.com. That's going to have everything, whether it's the show links or apparel or my sponsors, if you want to buy from them and, and check out what we've got going there. And then I've been getting a lot of inquiries. If you want to, you're interested in finding out more information, how to hire our marketing and, and meme team, it's DillyMemeTeam.com. You guys can check that out. Uh, you can see examples of our work. And certainly if you're uh, you know, we, we obviously we vet everybody. Not everybody gets to uh, uh, hire us, but it is something where you can if you're interested and you've got a product or a, a business uh, you need some help with. That's what we do. So DillyMemeTeam.com is where you can go for the business links. Otherwise, it's DillyShow.com. And we might even hire him to do a little marketing for the Steak for Breakfast podcast here. Listen, <laughs> at the very end of the day and at the very least, there are millions and millions of eyes on this guy, his show and the entire apparatus. He's got set up around him. Did you tell him that I, uh, I fed your voice into a AI generator? It did not go as well <laughs> as it did in your meme. Let me just say that at the very least. Brendan, thanks for spending some time with us today, and we'll look forward to having you back at some point in August. We're going to ride this all the way till next November. This is the host of The Dilly Show, author Brendan Dilly. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. Look forward to the next conversation. Take care. It was a great show today, Noah. What do you think? Outstanding. Loved all of our guests. The topics I think that we covered were right on point, and uh, we're delivering up to you like we do 
at least for the meantime, on a bi-weekly basis. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and now want to hear the over 260 other editions of the show, you can check us out across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Podbean. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Please leave a review and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Also, our social media accounts on Twitter, Getter, Instagram, and True Social. Find Steak for Breakfast, follow, and hit the notification bell. We want to thank all of our guests for taking time to come help make Steak great again today. Former Acting Ice Director Tom Holman, current Missouri Attorney General candidate Will Sharp, Haley Kennington, and Brendan Dilley. Absolutely fantastic segments with all of them. Guys, don't worry. We'll be back on Tuesday, and we've already got a little bit of a heater lined up. We're going to be sitting down with New York Young Republican Club President Gavin Wax, former senatorial candidate who's speaking at the Trump rally this weekend, Sean Parnell, and conservative American First Investment guru Bob Rubin. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah, later. Guys, have a great weekend, and take care. What is that? An icy? Yeah, that's probably a lot of sugar, huh? Good to see ya. <laughs>